All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne. And I'm Dalton Gray. And I'm Ryan Humphreys. And today we are going to be continuing the conversation on entry level starter gear for yeah. the beginner hunter. We're going to be talking about things you can get into on a budget to get you out in the woods. If you didn't catch the last episode we did about that part one, make sure you go back and listen to that first. Um, great information for somebody just getting into their first moose season, first caribou season, mm -hmm. maybe even their first sheep season. Right. So, right. Um, and that episode, this whole group of episodes, these part one and part two was brought to us by a listener. We love getting listener information from you guys. Um, we do figuring out exactly what it is you're curious about, how we can help. Um, so yep. if you have any suggestions, any questions for us or any, any topics you'd like us to cover in a future episode definitely hit us up uh let us know we have a contact button on our website at thenorthernhunter.com. uh mm -hmm. you can also send us an email directly to info at thenorthernhunter.com or hit us up on either one of our socials uh if you search at the northern hunter uh, on either facebook or instagram currently yeah. then we will be able to get that back to you that way and probably schedule and we'll either put your your question in an episode or we'll actually make an episode all about your question. Mm -hmm. so. Right, right. Yep. So there's one thing we love more than uh, questions from the customers and that's reviews. Reviews. Big yeah. one. Five stars. Yeah, yeah Sharing exactly. with your friends. We don't like the one star <laughs> reviews. No. <laughs> actually, you know, I, I want to take a, a different stance on that and I'm going to okay. say if you have a problem with anything on the show, email us. Email us because we like getting the emails yes. about that because... Uh, you know, we'd love to talk to you about We'll talk it. to you. We'll see, you know, maybe our, our, we're not afraid to talk to people of different opinions and, mm -hmm. um, you yeah. know, if it's something we can talk about, I mean, some opinions you're just not going to change somebody's mind on, but, right. um, right. don't be afraid to call us out on something too, either through the emails or anything like that. I mean, mm -hmm. by all means, we're, you know, there's yeah, an exception we're here to, to the talk. emails too. I don't like the spammers. <laughs> you know, I just got one that says, did you know that it's possible to send messages completely legally? <laughs> I, I don't think the spammers are listening to the show, bro. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to no, say. No, I just saw that and thought don't, it was really funny. Don't encourage them, Mariah. <laughs> but well, if you guys want to uh, want to hit us up, by all means do. And if you'd like to support what we're doing, absolutely go. Also, you can go to our website. You can go to the show notes. We have links to all of our sponsors mm -hmm. there. or We have a partners page on the website. But Dalton, why don't you tell them a little bit about our sponsors? While you're on your hunt. You need to be using some of our sponsored equipment that we use here at the show if you would be so inclined. Yes. These sponsors include 
Stealthy Hunter, and Stealthy Nutrition. You can have your rifle cover, your glassing pad, your nutritional supplements, and you can shop from Ryan Lamper's website and use the discount code and check out The Northern Hunter for your discount code there. That helps us support the show directly. We would appreciate that. Also, the same discount code can be used over at Yukon River Knives. Uh, we all use their knives here. We've talked mm-hmm. about those in a great extent, and hopefully soon here before the fall season kicks off, we'll be able to have uh, one of the owners, Jeremy McMorris, on our show to talk about an upcoming hunt that he has up in Alaska. As far as I know, it's still on for this fall. And uh, so we'll have him on and kind of talk about the company and and uh, kind of introduce him mm-hmm. uh, to you guys, our listeners. And uh, so you can get to kind of uh, meet who's behind the products. And then also you can shop over at Batum 907 um, for any of the areas in the country that they have legal fall bear baiting. So I have an update on that. Okay. So Mo had brought up in a previous episode that uh, the moose lures were illegal mm-hmm. in the state of Alaska, which is true if they're urine, but Batum right. 907, in relevance to the coming seasons, does make a Alaska legal moose lure setup. Awesome. So if awesome. you're interested in that, definitely hit them up for the upcoming season. They also make trapping lures and all kinds of stuff. Correct. So. And so a Batum 907, which of course is a local Alaska-made uh, lures and attractants company, um, you can use the discount code TNHP for a discount mm-hmm. code from Beta 907. And then also our latest addition to our discount code sponsored products is Hammer Bullets. We've talked a lot about them. We all shoot Hammer Bullets and uh, have reloaded them. Um, all three of us have mm-hmm. and uh, had good results with that. They're easy to load for. They shoot very well and they work on game as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can use the Northern Hunter discount code there as well for, for Hammer Bullets. And then uh, last but not least, our partner, uh, our, our last partner is Weatherby, um, and they, uh, they make some fine rifles over there. The Mark V, the, yeah. the, I know in the last episode, episode 35, where we talked about entry-level uh, rifles mm-hmm. for the beginning hunter that's more of on a budget. Um, Weatherby has options for that as well yep. um, in the Vanguard line. Yep. And then as you progress up in price, you can go up to the Weatherby Model 307, which is their new Model 700 um, blueprint action that's more customizable. It kind of mm-hmm. fits more of those aftermarket parts in the industry. And then if you want to go to the upper echelon, in my opinion, is the Mark V. Yes. The made in the USA, six lug or nine lug actions. Um, James and I each have a, um, a 338 RPM in a Mark V action. Mm-hmm. And uh, those, are, those are some fine guns. There's, they're they're well-made, um, high-quality guns from an American company that's been in the States uh, for a long time. Yep. It's family-owned business and uh, shares our values, and we're happy to be partnered with Weatherby. And you can get into a Vanguard for as little as $640, and you can actually, these days, with the, the Mark V Hunters, you can get into a Mark V. Yeah. Their premium action. You yes. can get into one of those for around 1400 bucks, 1450 and, and I believe even the Mark V Hunter is Cerakoted. Yes, it is. Yeah. They have two versions. They have a bronzed and a stainless, I believe. So I think one of them might not be. Yeah. But I, I know I, I was in Three Bears. Um, Mo and I stopped in at Three Bears uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago on our way back into town from our 4th of July camping trip, our yep. annual camping and fishing ordeal. We went through a little small town on the way back up to Fairbanks and uh, stopped in at Three Bears. And they were open that day on the 4th, actually. Nice. And uh, they had a Mark 500 that I was able to handle and look at. Oh, there you go. Haven't seen one in Fairbanks just yet um, at Sportsman's, but uh, Three Bears had one. I handled it. It's a nice gun. The fit and finish is great. Mm -hmm. Um, The main difference there between the Mark 500 and an upper level Mark V model is the stock. Yeah. It's more of a traditional, um, you know, polymer stock. It's Mm -hmm. not their higher end Peak 44 carbon fiber stock. Right. But still... 
for the $1,200 price range, it's a pretty sweet gun. And it's going to be a darn accurate gun, too. I'm sure it is. But, so. but anyway, so if you guys want to uh, shop from any of those sponsors that we have a discount code with, that helps not only those businesses, but it also really helps us, too. Helps us keep doing what we're doing and uh, keep the lights on in here. It'd be kind of hard to record podcasts in the dark. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, this episode is going to be about gear. Uh, I think last time we touched a little bit more on what to wear, what to shoot, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. This yeah. one's going to be a little bit more about what to bring in on your back and right. what to bring it in with. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also been doing a bunch of gear shopping over here at the Northern Hunter. All of us have been, you know, checking our packing lists and mm -hmm. going through everything, seeing what needs to be updated, seeing maybe some new yeah. new things we want to try out. I'm yeah. sure we'll be having a lot of discussion about that at some point. I have so. some new things that are currently shipped in the mail right yeah. now uh, that, that uh, actually I, I wanted to get with you um, when, uh, and I can't say yet, yeah. but, but when those products <laughs> get in, and these aren't even from sponsored products. These are oh, just yeah. products that I've wanted to test for a while. And uh, we need to do a setup and uh, kind of an overview and comparison of, oh, yeah. of those two things that I have coming in the mail. So I love that idea. The suspense is real, and that's a little <laughs> bit of foreshadowing. So maybe maybe a Yo. YouTube channel idea. I don't know. Possibly. We'll, we'll see. We're, but, we're getting closer and closer every day. Yeah. So, But before we get too far into that, man, the fish. Man, you want to talk about a, a, a midsummer activity. The fish are running. What kind of fish, James? Salmon's. Salmon. Salmon. Yeah. Salmons. Salmons. So you wouldn't the, believe uh, the number of mispronunciations for <laughs> salmon that there are. I know. But man, the salmon are running. I yeah. cannot wait. I'm heading down there on a trip here soon. Mm. Um, but just been great. Kind of caught up here in town for a little bit, had a couple yeah. of uh, high priority items to take care of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, but I have heard so many great success stories, people going down there and limiting out and like two and a half hours i'm i'm talking specifically chitna yeah um, in this right. in this mm -hmm. instant not right to, you know it's a very popular area for people yeah. in the interior to go to right. um there's I, i've seen pictures man the russian is mm. packed with people right now <laughs> they're even putting up like uh uh wait time what do you signs. call those yeah the yeah. the psas on facebook and stuff right. like expect to wait up to you know six hours right. to get down to the river so right. right yeah if you're listening to this and you were thinking about going on the russian just <laughs> make sure you're ready to wait maybe it's plan busy. Plan an extra day on that trip, but yeah, um, I know some people. I mean, they were going down there. It was a group, and I think they all limited out. It was a total of uh, 120 fish, and I want to say it only took them like six hours. Oh, wow. wow! So they're running right now. Wow, they are running, man. Yeah. So good time to get down there if you're uh, if you're bored this coming weekend after this after this I airs. I might have to jump in there with you, James. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's it's gonna be fun, man. I'm hoping they I'm hoping they stay strong through the month because I mean. Yeah. Not only for, for me to get some fish, but also, I mean, the, the fish situation in Alaska has been hurting a lot. Uh, yeah. right. I'm looking at bringing somebody on on the show to talk about that specifically mm. um, in detail that knows all the science and, yeah. the, and yeah. the, the politics behind it. But, That'd be good. Um, it, it, the more fish come up the river, obviously, the better that is for the remote areas of Alaska mm -hmm. upriver mm. that, uh, that right. rely on those fish, you know, and they kind right. of subsist off of those every year. So uh, any of them really that travel up the Yukon, man, I'm hoping that that, that that run especially stays very strong yeah. just for those people. I, I really wish them the best this year. Yeah. It's been a hard year for fish or hard couple of years for fish. Right. So, right. Yeah. They yeah. shut down several, several things. They've shut down a lot of stuff. They shut down all the Kings mm -hmm. anywhere in the central. You can actually, keep, you can keep one in Chitna. 
yeah. uh, this year. Yeah. Are you I, sure about yep, that? Positive. Because yeah. I thought the same where we were camping until I started looking further into the regs and found well, a little it, it changes somewhere. per year, but this year, as of right. right now, they haven't shut it down completely. You okay. can still keep yeah. one. Yeah. So okay. that, that's, but yeah. I heard that somewhere too. No. I, I haven't made it down there to do any fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have some family that was that was down there um, fishing uh, last week, I think it was. Okay, yeah. Um, it was my dad and a couple of my brothers um, were down there for a few days, and th- and they did well. You know that they they got their limit of fish, however many that was. I don't I don't know all those numbers. So technically speaking, it's twenty five per head, and then ten per dependent in the household. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, I I know they got a good amount of fish, and they you know they gave my wife and I a little bit. They had mm-hmm. over what they were going to need for the for the year. They thought. Yeah. Um, you know, but fish is a nice little supplemental um, meat for the freezer you know so it's not all moose and caribou and mm-hmm. sheep and deer and bear and you so, know it's such a it, sad thing to have to eat it's a tough life yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah no I, I say that like it's a bad thing but it but it is nice to have a little bit of variety with having um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, fresh caught salmon in there yeah um, but anyway yeah I, I have a little uh, interesting story about this actually nice so well it, it, it's nice but it's not the copper river Mm-hmm. That, that runs by Chitna there is one of the most notoriously dangerous rivers in the state. Oh yeah. People die there every year. Very silty, very fast. Yeah. And right there in Chitna where that gorge Canyon is right there, it, it, it narrows down. It goes from about a half mile or three quarters of a mile wide. And it necks down to just a few hundred yards in some spots. And uh, of course, anybody that's familiar with water, when you have that much water and that amount of um, square footage in a river, and then it necks down to that little. Mm-hmm. It gets fast, and it gets uh, bubbly, and uh, whirlpools, and uh, it gets very, very dangerous. And there, th- there are a couple of fishing charter companies that operate out of Chitna for the summer that'll take you out to dip net off of a boat mm-hmm. if you don't want to do it from the bank. And, and the standard procedure from fishing from the bank with a dip net is that you tie off to something on oh, the bank. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and then you fish from the bank like that so that if you were to slip off of the rocks or something, you are attached to the shore because if you go in the copper river, mm-hmm. you're not very likely going to be able to get out on your own. I think the only exception to that is if you're fishing like right in, in the wide spot, right by the bridge, right. Mm-hmm. but then you're right. just combat fishing basically. Yeah, exactly. The, the majority of the people that, that fish that Canyon mm-hmm. there go down by the cliffs and they, they find a spot to go down the, you know, go down the bluff and then fish off the rocks somewhere mm-hmm. and that's where it gets slippery and it gets dangerous and it's deep and it's fast and if you go in you're probably not going to make it back out right so on that note my dad and my two brothers were were fishing there and um one of my brothers called out to my dad while they were fishing and said dad look and uh, there was a boat in the water unmanned full of water Ooh. And the motor was still running. And I, I saw a photo of it. It was a semi-V. It look, looked like a Sea Arc, I think it was. Okay. It was somewhere around like an 18-foot or so um, boat with a center console drive. And uh, the motor was obviously still running. You could see it there. Um, but there was nobody in the boat. And it was just floating down the river, unmanned mm. and full of water. So, mm. uh, you know, that they were on the lookout. They were, you know, didn't really know what to do. They, they didn't have a boat. They couldn't get out there to grab it or anything right. and bring it into shore. And they couldn't see anybody in the boat from shore. Well, about a couple of minutes went by. And then my brother called out again. He said, Dad, look. And there was a guy floating down the river in a life jacket. Oh, and uh, he, he came by the bank about, I, I don't know, it was a little bit upstream of them and he was 
he was, I, I don't know, 30 or 40 yards offshore, and it, and it looked like he might get swept in towards the shore. And then the current switched right there, and it shot him straight out to the middle of the river, mm. just that fast. Mm-hmm. And my dad had about 30 feet of rope, and the guy was about 100 yards offshore. And he's calling out to the guy, and um, he, he, he described it as the most helpless he's ever felt in a physical situation yeah. in life. He said, you don't know the feeling of disappointment as you watch somebody floating by in a life jacket that's alive but dying by the second. Yeah. He said he tried to make one stroke with one arm to try to swim, and he said it was just like it was in slow motion, like he couldn't even move. He right. was just all locked up. Well, and, um, and it's the, the cold yeah. will get that, yes. will get you that it's way. You can't just barely above ice temperature yeah. in mm-hmm. there. And also, you can't judge the speed of the water based right. on how it looks on the surface. Right. It's so, he, yeah. so fast, that undercurrent yeah. that comes through there. And so he said they watched the guy go by. One of my other brothers uh, that, that was there, they, they had a couple of four-wheelers there up the bank a little ways on the trail. Mm-hmm. So one of my brothers jumped up and ran up the bank. Um, and then my dad ripped out his inReach and hit the SOS and was in communication with the, with the help center. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that there's somebody in the river. There's a half-sunk boat going down. I don't know how many other guys there are, uh, but one just went by us. He's in a life jacket. I think he said it was in a blue life jacket. And, um, so SOS was responding to him. My other brother, um, the younger one, um, mm-hmm. he was ripping down river along the trail, yelling at folks, Hey, there's a guy in the river. There's a guy in the river and trying to see if anybody might've had a boat somewhere or if mm-hmm. they, or, or if they could contact somebody in town with a boat that they could right. get something in the water because for, for him to try to ride back and then get to the, get to the, um, the, the little restaurant or whatever is in town, it'd be too late. Right. And so. As he was ripping down the trail, there's a guy walking back up the trail, and he was yelling. He said, there's a guy on the river. He said, I know. I just got out. He was one of the other guys in the boat. No kidding. Yeah. So they, um, they, they, he, he made it out. He had gotten, they, they were floating relatively close together, mm-hmm. farther upstream before they were in sight of, of my dad's, you know, of, of my dad and brothers there. And the current took the one guy out and brought the other guy into shore. And he was able to clamber up on the rocks and get mm. out. Um, so as, as one of my brothers was going up and down the trail looking for help, he stumbled across this guy. I, I don't remember. It, it, he, he had to have been upriver when he saw this guy because he got out before then or something like that. Um, so long story short, word got back to Chitnatown where one of the boat captains of the charter heard about it. And he came ripping down the river, mm. and, uh, and and this is all relayed to me as as per my dad. So if there's any you know discrepancies, I apologize, but this is how it was relayed to me. Um, so that my dad said a few minutes later, I heard a boat ripping down the river, and um, he said the guy slowed down. He had he had his orange thermarest pad on mm-hmm. the bank, and so him and my brother were waving that, trying to get the boat captain's attention to tell him how long ago it was, so they could get an idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad said he was yelling, there's a guy in the river. And he said, how long? And he pointed at his watch. And my dad said, five minutes. And he said, the guy just, you know, pinned the throttle and went ripping down there. He said, and of course, they were praying the whole time, you know, yeah. God save this guy, you know, let him live long enough. Don't let him get caught on something and get mm-hmm. swept underwater. And even in a life jacket, man, you're, you're, you're either going to die of hypothermia 
or you're going to get caught on something or smack your head on something and you're going to go unconscious and you'll drown. Right. right? Um, and so he said, uh, a few minutes later, the boat comes ripping back up the river and, um, uh, he said, the guy looked at shore and said, we got him. And he was sitting in the boat. <laughs> wow. And uh, no said, my dad said, I just was praying and thanking God for that. And both guys uh, got out alive. Wow. And uh, you talk about divine intervention. No kidding. The odds of that guy with the boat being in the water at that time mm-hmm. and the helplessness of everybody on shore watching this guy go by yeah. just out of reach. He's, he's too far. Right. And, if you, and it's not like you can jump out there to save him no. because you'll have the same fate he does. Yeah. You have no chance of giving him any help. And um, so anyway, that, that's, it, it's a crazy story. It's, it's a crazy river. Yeah. It's very, very dangerous. Never go in a boat without a life jacket. Praise God. Man. You know, that, yeah, it, it's, it's by the grace of God <laughs> that those guys are alive to tell the story about it. But yeah. anyway, that's just an extreme, yeah. extreme story, but just a reminder always to be safe on the water. And always. I know we've said it on the show a bunch, mm-hmm. but water kills more folks in Alaska every year than anything else does. Oh, absolutely. And uh, even if it's not from drowning, from the exposure, yep. it'll, it'll kill you. It's very well, cold. And, and it's easy to, uh, to not want to put your life vest on right when you're especially if you're in one of those bigger boats right. 18 20 22 right. footers you know right. I and mean, you feel pretty secure in those things yeah. um you know especially if you've got a lot of gear on maybe it's yeah. kind of cold that day you don't want to put it on man it's that's, <laughs> yeah. it's a bad day if you go overboard yeah. and and you don't have that on and yeah. it's not that hard to do right you know it's, right it, everything in alaska has a certain element of danger in the right. rivers, especially. Especially the copper. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Especially the copper. And all of these rivers are very cold. Right. All of the rivers are right. pretty quick. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even the just the ones here in town, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, uh, I guess the Chena is not really that fast, yeah. but, you know, the, the Tanana. Yeah, though, something like the Tanana. Like, if you get swept from the Chena into the Tanana, yeah. I mean, you're, good yeah. luck. You know, right. it's hard to get yeah. out of that. So. And, and it's the grim reality of it. But, but, but um, you know, there's, there's, there's folks that I know that run the Tanana all the time, and I've been out on boats with them. And I remember as a teenager, the first time I ever went out in the Tanana in, in, a, in a jet boat with somebody to go moose hunting um, back in the day, um, I, I said, uh, well, you know, I don't need a life jacket. And he mm-hmm. said, no, 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 you need to wear a life jacket. And I said, well, the water's so cold. Anyway, he said, yeah, it might just be to find the body, but you need to wear a life jacket. <laughs> right. And that kind, of, uh, that kind of sets in a little bit of reality that, yeah, I mean, it's, you really want to stay out of the water. So right. you, know? you didn't fall in the water, yeah. but you're glad you wore the life jacket because there were some things that happened on that trip. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we <laughs> want to go that. on that no, right now. But. No, that was yeah, that was a different story, different river. But uh, yeah. so, sounds like something I need to ask about off the air. <laughs> yeah, I, I can tell that story off the air, but yeah, that's that's a, yeah. Anyway, but anyway, be safe, people. You know, yeah. be be conscious of the situations you're putting yourself in, yeah. and uh, just make sure you're 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 safe and right. And uh, but. Definitely get down there and get you some fish while they're running. Yeah. You know, definitely yep. uh, take advantage of that resource. It's something that every Alaskan's allowed to do. Yep. I think it's every it's something every Alaskan should do. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's a great, uh, great substitute. Yeah. Or a great uh it's nice a, variety. addition to yeah. your to your freezer. You know, you right. get it full of moose mm-hmm. and caribou and bear and all this other stuff. 
Yeah. Red meat's awesome. Mm-hmm. I eat a ton of red meat, but every once in a while, that white flaky meat's pretty nice. Oh, so, white flaky or that or that uh, nice orange yeah. red salmon. And, yeah. me, me, and, oh, yeah. me and the wife just went down. We did a, a deep sea charter. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Seward. Yeah, that's right. And, that's uh, right. Man, that was a blast. We went out there. We got halibut, rockfish. Yeah. We did get some salmon out there yeah. uh, in the salt water. Yeah, yeah. so um yeah we limited out on everything it was a great time um i didn't get seasick i was uh, i was i was pretty <laughs> that's, impressed that's so good funny funny fact there actually so my my entire life i've always gotten seasick um and i've always blamed it on being from kansas mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i'm like oh man i grew up in kansas i moved to fairbanks i've basically been as far away from an ocean as you can be my entire life yeah um <laughs> so i get down there and that's what you know my mentality is i'm just like i'm gonna get sick but it's gonna be worth it because you know, it's nice to have the fish. It's nice to be be on the ocean. Mm-hmm. I'll go on an adventure, even if I'm going to get sick, even if I'm going to get tired. It's going to hurt. You know, I don't care. Like if it's something I don't <laughs> yeah. get to do a whole lot, I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm just if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. So, um, but uh, we get there and we're we're talking with the crew and everything like that, and the captain's driving us out. And turns out one of the deckhands is, is Kansas as well. Grew up about 45 minutes from me. No kidding. So I'm like, well, there goes my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Can't use that one yeah. anymore. So, yeah. so but yeah, it was a good trip. Uh, we had some some pretty high seas. I think we were looking at in, in the deeper part, further out. Um, it was pushing twelve foot. So we turned around and we stayed a little bit closer. Mm. Um, so we didn't get any monsters or anything like that. Nothing, nothing huge. Um, just due to weather. How but, high were the seas where you guys were fishing? Were they like four footers, six footers? Probably four. Four, was it, four two six was it, there. Like, it was still fairly rough but was it wasn't it white bad. capping or was it just more no, like rollers rollers yeah that's yeah, good yeah. yeah yeah out where we were trying to go it was white capping yeah and that's what he was like the way he explained it is we could get where we want to go mm-hmm. but you wouldn't want to fish where we want to go yeah like the, the yeah. way those seas are looking it's yeah and, and i was thankful for it because yeah. I, I didn't i didn't blow chunks but i did get a little i did get a little uh woozy for a little yeah. bit just it, it's fine little 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 tip for anybody that doesn't know you know watching the horizon works really well um <laughs> keep kind of keeps you, you 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 based a little bit yeah and, you know the land the horizon doesn't move um but if you're reeling in a halibut don't just stare at the line like you would if they're it's like a bass or something like that because <laughs> what's going to happen is it's right off the side of the boat about two to three feet off the edge of the boat you're staring right down into the water and moving straight up and down if you have any inclination to get seasick that's when it's going to happen yeah and uh, yeah. so just a little, say, little, little never, tip. I've never gotten seasick, but I grew up running gillnet with my dad oh, yeah. out of a Zodiac. And, uh, oh, <laughs> that'll cure you real and, quick. <laughs> uh, it got to, I'm not sure exactly why this happened, but, I, you know, starting out, I was up there, you know, usually you got two guys on the front of the boat leaning over, picking the fish out of the net. Mm-hmm. Little, you got a pick that pulls the net off the fish. And then you got a guy that drives the boat, you know, mm-hmm. and your job is to get the boat, get the guys in the front to the net without catching the net in the motor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then you throw fish in a tub as they get them out of the net. And um, so somehow I became the driver at some point, but picking the fish was, oh, yeah. I, I remember, I've never been seasick, um, even, which is a miracle on, you know, because some of the times with that boat, like it was <laughs> white capping, you know, you got like three foot. Uh, in this little 16 foot Zodiac with, <laughs> that had the, like, you know, the fold at the bottom that pops in. Mm-hmm. So like the two oh, foot yeah. planks. And so, you know, so because the water's cold, you know, it's kind of lost. The Zodiac's kind of lost some air. Some, and <laughs> so the whole thing would just kind of like start to fold as you, as you go to go up a wave. And, <laughs> oh, 
Did you not have your locking sidebars to keep the floor rigid? <laughs> it didn't have them, no. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Did, I don't think. That's, I don't think. Definitely. Yeah. I don't think that one even came with them. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. No, it was. It was an old. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that's, that's possible. I, yeah. I had a Zodiac at one point that was like an old, old version. I don't think mine had it. Yeah, yeah it just so, kind of yeah. accordioned with the water. Yeah. 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 When it was, when, and when you had it full of air. Yeah, like when it was warm, right, right, it was fine. It didn't yeah. do that. But. Yeah, all all the rafts that I've ever used, even growing up, we had that one that we used uh, overseas there, mm-hmm. and uh, it it still had those little locking bars that go over the the side edges of mm-hmm. the floorboards, mm-hmm. which are a real pain in the neck to get installed. You could about rip your fingernails out doing that. <laughs> um, but those those keep that floor rigid from from rippling with the waves. Right. right. Um, I, I, I have a seasickness story. Oh, nice. I, I turned green when I was a teenager. Okay. Uh, apparently, you know, I, I obviously <laughs> couldn't... Uh, Block could, that memory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't see it. But uh, yeah, I, I, we, we didn't grow up uh, going on a fishing charters down mm-hmm. there in Fiji. But um, we had a group from the States that came down one time and uh, to visit us. They were from California or whatever. And, uh, and, and they, they really wanted to go out on a fishing charter. And we had like a little 16-foot inflatable boat that wasn't big enough for my dad and myself. And this, uh, I think there was three of them uh, from, from the States that were visiting. And so we all wanted to go fishing together. And they said, well, let's just go out on a charter. And so, you know, we found a charter boat to go out on. I think it was an Australian guy that was the captain of the boat. And then he had a a local guy that was his uh, that was his helper on the boat, and we took that boat out far past where our little raft ever went, mm-hmm. and uh, we got out in some rolling seas. And uh, man, the chocolate fudge pop tarts are great, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you can tell where I'm going with this. I, I, and this was I, I More was of a s'mores guy. I myself. was a lot younger, and I, this was my first was time out the in the big water. And uh, I I lost my lunch there for sure, but I, but I've never been seasick since, and I've been in a lot worse water since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll never forget that was just a miserable sick feeling because it's not like when you're sick, you know, sometimes getting rid of that makes you feel better. Right. Not on the ocean. It was just an indefinite feeling that you just had to keep. Yep. Um, expelling that, and that mm-hmm. was it was just terrible. Well, and for me, it's never the the going. That yeah. makes me seasick. As long as we're moving, yeah. it makes sense in my head. I got like, sick when we stopped. Yeah, it's yeah. always the stopping. Interesting. It's yeah. when you get when you stop, you put your lines in the water, you're fishing, that's when you're it kicks in. Stagnant and you're just yeah. rolling. Well, and, the two hours getting out there, yeah. that's fine. That's yeah. whatever. I don't get right. seasick at all. Yeah. Right. But. I would say I would say it's all mental. Oh, it probably Cause just, is. Because I just yeah. say that I just say that if somebody has a weakness, and I've got plenty of weaknesses myself, but if I somebody has a weakness, I don't. I say, oh, it's just in your mind, right? You know, <laughs> right. That's all in your head. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you know, and I've having not ever experienced it. Mm-hmm. And, well, and and you and know, I, you know, the crazy thing is, I've heard from people that work on the ocean, that mm-hmm. work on these boats, that everybody has their day. Yeah. Everybody. You know, my dad. No matter how long you've been doing it, mm-hmm. if you've been right, if you've been a captain or a deckhand for five years yeah one day you might just come on the boat and something yeah. didn't sit right maybe you ate something wrong the night before or right. whatever goes on and just for that day i think that you're day, seasick i think that day was about 15 years ago mm. and i haven't been motion sick since yeah. not not yeah. in a car not in a, not not in a super cub bumpy ride and i've been in some bumpy oh, super yeah. cub rides <laughs> where a lot of guys take dramamine Mm-hmm. Um, before they get in a super cub, I've never gotten sick in a in, in a small plane ride. I've never gotten sick in a boat since then. Not to say that it wouldn't happen. Yeah, but I've also heard that you know, and it's probably an old wives' tale. But uh, once you get it, 
you just kind of get it out of your system. I've also heard that you right. drink a glass of salt water and that cures you. I'm not yeah. sure how valid I've, that I is, mean, but I know somebody who uh, he said he had to, he he was forced growing up to work on a fishing boat. Uh huh. Yeah, in the summer with his dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said he got seasick every year all the time. Really? Yeah. Wow. You know him. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Hopefully. You know, I've never been sick. I've never been motion sick in a in a plane like a like a super cub or anything like that yeah but what i will say is when they catch that that crosswind uh-huh. and the whole wing just tips up out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. and then the pilots there you know spinning spinning <laughs> wheels and throwing levers and right. trying to correct everything yeah it's a little spooky i'm not gonna say yeah. Not, oh yeah but i don't yeah. i can't say i've been motion sickness right. from it yeah. right yeah but that's just when you uh you know just I, I, pray I a little harder and hope you hit the ground yeah i've, I've <laughs> hit been the ground on, softly i've been on some flights where um uh, in, in, in a super cub where, uh, well, two or three years ago in the spring mm-hmm. uh, and, and doing some, doing some brown bear guiding, um, I had a flight where I was, I was going, it, it was, it, it, it was a decently long super cub flight for, for what we were doing. And it wasn't like the left, right that bothered me. It wasn't so much that it was when we'd be going along and we'd hit an air current and we'd just go straight up. Like we were just, yeah. right, we were just like straight up in the air, <laughs> like an know, elevator, perfectly level, but just elevator up like 50 feet or something. I've like done it the other way too. immediately. And then five minutes later, you just drop and just yeah. the floor drops out of the plane. And I just, ah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the old saying flying by the seat of your pants. And that's, yeah. that's where that sensation comes from. <laughs> yep. That's exactly, I know where that exactly what from. you're talking about. But that, that, was what bothered me and i've <laughs> i've flown in a helicopter once and i'm probably good for another umpteen years in that regard too because the helicopter feels like you're just hanging from something in the air right it's a totally different means mm-hmm. of flight yeah it's, it's a little bit weird and the up down is very exaggerated in a helicopter mm-hmm. at least in a little miniature size one that i was in right um but that up down was a lot i mean that that was your turbulence Dude, you want you want to talk about some hardcore people the yeah. helicopter pilots in this state yeah. oh my lanta dude yeah like i mean i've seen some videos of them doing like the the sheep counts and especially when they have to go oh, collar boy. collar certain animals and yeah. they're chasing these animals around and have to get close enough to you know yeah. get them with the yeah. tranquilizer gun right oh i would not want to be on that helicopter or some of that <laughs> intensive predator management. Yeah. We were talking yeah. about <laughs> somebody yeah. leaning out the side door with a shotgun or something. Oh man. That thing. <laughs> yeah. Those guys. Those guys deserve the danger. I, I, I tip my hat to you, sir. That's yeah. <laughs> that's some good piloting. Right. But uh let's take a break real quick and then we'll dive into gear. All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. All right, so back to the topic of 
affordable gear. Um, before we dive into the new stuff on our list, I wanted to go back into the last list and correct or add one thing that I didn't add that I, I kind of wished I had. Okay. And then uh, correct myself on one topic. So we had brought up quarter zip uh, fleece, a quarter zip hoodie, anything mm-hmm. like that. A good mm-hmm. spot to look for that, air, that kind of equipment. Um, in addition, we had mentioned like Walmart and other things like that. But a good avenue to look in for that is like Grundens or any oh. other version of yeah. a, a fishing yeah. Yeah. Um, a fishing clothing line usually sells clothing designed to go under their bibs underneath their gaiters yes. underneath things like that to keep you warm yes. and those are not only affordable but phenomenal they're great um, I've got a couple versions from from Grundens yeah um, some heavy and some thin they're probably not cotton either they're not cotton either they're yeah. uh they're like a neoprene outside with a fleece oh. lined inside oh. it's really really nice wow. it's like a and then the other one i have is uh i think it's just like a synthetic blend uh-huh. um on the outside yeah that's the thinner version nice um and it's really really good stuff yeah uh, keeps you warm and it, i man i think they were only like 50 to 70 bucks a piece right so right. if you're looking for an affordable version for of that you can apply that piece to any mm-hmm. hunting style really right, right. It's not just design. They also make like, uh, um, if you're looking for a liner for your legs too, they mm. also make like sweatpants yep. that are designed to go underneath your bibs or underneath that's, your, that's your, what I wore your waders. my waders on our deer hunt. Yep. yep same here. Yep. And, uh, and they work great for a little bit of leg insulation, especially if you're going to be sitting in a boat all day or you're going to be doing something that doesn't require a lot and you don't want to wear right. puffies. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it, they work great for layering underneath the water. And a lot of times like those sweatpant deals that you wear underneath your waders, mm-hmm. um, like mine have little cinch cuff bottoms. Yes. So they don't bunch up and catch on your <laughs> yeah. waders. Now I would never wear those like ever anywhere else right? because they're like tapered leg cut. So, so I've got one from <laughs> Grundens that's, that's got a, a cinch cuff on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another set of, of sweats that's designed to go underneath a set like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm forgetting the name of the brand right now. I have. I want to say it starts with red something, but I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. But I have they Eskimo have brand from Sportsman's. A little loop on the bottom. Yep. And that loop goes underneath your heel and yep. kind of sits on the arch of your foot and does the same thing. It yep. keeps them from riding up, keeps them from bunching I up. I think that's that Eskimo brand from Sportsman's. It might be. It's, it's red and black. Yeah. yeah that's, yep. Th- yep, those that's those are I, the same ones that okay. I have. Yeah. yeah. Those, they sell those at Sportsman's. Yeah. I think I paid like 60 bucks for yeah. those. It, it's affordable and it really works well. They yep. feel really thin when you're, when you're at the store, but I, I can tell you firsthand experience. They work well for what they're intended to right. do. It's not right. your only layer, but for an undergarment layer like that, where it's just on top of your base layer. Yeah. Um, phenomenal stuff. I, so. I think on our deer hunt last year, you know, it was getting down into the, well, it was below freezing every morning for sure. And then the wind on the water was pretty cold too. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, that was all I was wearing underneath my Sims pants. Yeah. It was just those sweats and yep. I was plenty warm enough. That I think was, I had my waffle bottoms on uh-huh. and then those on top of the waffle bottoms and yeah. then my weight, my, uh, Sims waders. My, yeah. My Sims waders. Right. Um, and yeah. same thing. I was, I was plenty warm. My feet got a little cold. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely. Have, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think Sims make ins- makes insulated waiter boots. They don't right yeah. now. Um, I had Sims shoes that are designed yeah. for the, the waiters I had and, yeah. and they just, yeah. I mean, they were great in the sense they did what they were supposed to do, which right. is to drain the water off once you're out of the water. Yep. But the insulation value is nil. Yeah, it's I, nothing. I have like, the I have the G four um, guide boots because I I wear mm-hmm. mine a lot. You know, I, I wear yeah. them guiding and I wear them on personal hunts too. And and they're a really nice, you know, a very lightweight, pliable boot. They're comfortable yep. to hike and hunt in. 
Um, but uh, yeah, they are not warm. No. <laughs> and sitting <laughs> yeah. in the boat, and, and ironically, you're warmer when you're in the water. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when, when you're in the boat and just driving around, getting to your next hunting spot, <laughs> yeah, your feet freeze. Yes. I mean, they are frigidly cold to the point where um, my buddy Remy and I were talking about this fall on our deer hunt that we're going to do probably that same type of trip that same time of year. Mm-hmm. And we know it's it's cold. Yeah. We're probably going to bring our insulated um, lacrosse hip boots because yeah. they're 600 milligrams of ins- <laughs> or, I'm sorry, not milligrams, 600 grams. I, yes. keep, I keep saying milligrams. 800. No, 600 grams. Your lacrosse. My hip boots. Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah, yeah but the, the green uh, hip boots. But mm-hmm. those are 600 gram insulated hip boots. Those are a lot warmer than those uh, than those Sims waders. You yeah. just have to be a little bit more conscious about where you jump out. Right. Well, and, and I think I think next time I go, I'm gonna try to find a waiter setup that has built-in boots. Yeah. Honestly, because Sitka because has feeling the, the, the slosh inside your boot, even yeah. though you know it's not yep. in your sock. You yep. know your socks are dry, yep. but you just feel that slosh and it's so cold and it's just when ah. it after your feet get so cold. Yeah. You almost feel like it is wet because yes. they're so cold. Correct. You kind of lose the ability to tell, are my feet wet or are they yeah. cold? I, I can't really tell. You guys probably remember me dancing around on the shore that yeah. one day. Yeah. <laughs> Just like yeah. walk pacing oh, back I've, and I've, forth. I've trying done to get, the same yeah. get warm soon dance. But yeah, yep. I, I know Sitka and First Light was talking about coming out with some insulated waders. Mm-hmm. Is that what you have pulled up right here? This is lacrosse's Oh, lacrosse. And they okay. have an mm. Alpha Burley style waiter boot that's 1600 grams that goes with them that's built into a chest waiter yes see and, and i was looking those at, are 700 bucks they are yeah that's with the boot it's not cheap but yeah and the waiter the, itself but, is like 150 grams again it's kind of like what we're talking about in the show for for a cheaper price you're going to sacrifice some things right yeah. you're going right. to sacrifice a little bit of that comfort and and having I mean, warm feet those, is one of those things look at all those pouches yeah. on the front they do get yeah, a lot I, of pouches and how, how, for, for anybody how, wondering how much, we're looking at the alpha agility select waiters how much uh, so. insulation is in those boots there mariah 1600 1600 grams of insulation whoa that's gonna be warm yeah don't walk more than 100 yards yeah. in those. <laughs> well and that's the hard part about finding waiters with boots in them is because right. especially when you're looking for a hunting waiter not right. like a waterfowl not right. like a fishing waiter it's You've got to be able to hike in them too, so right. it can't be like a very loose fit. And those kind of, boots look clumsy. That's, yeah, look that's, at, I'm looking at those. They, they kind of look like uh, the big, hefty lacrosse winter boots. They look almost. like bunny like, boots. Yeah, <laughs> like like the, the fat ones. Right. Um, right. So I don't know how much I'd like to hike around in those. Yeah, but, yeah I don't know. I just pulled. But, the, I went to their website yeah, to see the Sitka ones. Do look yeah, look nice. That's the direction I, I, I'm looking. Yeah, so. I know the Sitka ones are pretty pricey, and I I, mm. I heard that First Light was going to come out with some. I I don't know. They've been know, teasing that for like six months though. Yeah, I, I know they've they, they they've talked about it. They've said that they were going to uh, come out with them earlier, and then they postponed it because it wasn't quite well, right. I, I was going to say that I think they just gave an update on that like three weeks ago or something. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I didn't quite. Which hear is that, good. I don't don't get me wrong. I would rather yeah. them wait oh, yeah. to put out a quality yeah, piece quality of gear for right. for the price for but. sure. Um, the other thing I wanted to correct myself on real quick is that I had stated muck boots are north of two hundred dollars. That is true in the Fairbanks area. Mm. Um, so I had just actually come back from shopping for muck style boots or lacrosses or any of those okay and at a lot of the retail stores here in town they're pushing like that 240 price mark um for the arctic sports for the arctic sports and for um the the lacrosse equivalents you know the the 800 gram insulated versions um online though i was able to find a lot of places that had them from closer to that like 180 dollar mark oh 
So yeah. not not much more than they used to be. Yeah, you know. So if, if and, and that kind of falls back to being a, willing to go find deals, um, maybe mm-hmm. order something online versus buying it in the store. You can easily save yourself sixty bucks or something like that. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what the shipping would be on a pair of boots like that, but yeah. I can't imagine it'd be terrible. Yeah, probably um, not bad. But you know, if you're willing to order something online, let's say you already know your your size and you're pretty com- confident right. in ordering something, right? Um, even if you don't know your exact size, most of these brands are pretty good. If you have to return something and get a bigger size, they're yeah. not going to give you too much hassle. Well, so. I, I know on the on the topic of size and boots, um, for the most part, I tend to wear like an eleven or even eleven and a half in a lot of boots. Mm-hmm. It, it depends on the brand, but uh, for those lacrosse hip boots that I wear, I wear a size ten. Really? Yeah, it's strange that they hmm. they fit bigger. That the elevens yeah. are the elevens fit me like twelves would in an yeah. with a pair of boots. I don't even remember. I wear a size twelve normally. Yeah, and I might have the elevens in the lacrosse boots. I'm not sure. Yeah. In the lacrosse boots, I have elevens, but in but in the uh, in the lacrosse hip boots, I have tens. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but, I, I but, know. But the knee boots, I wear eleven. I know I have twelves in mine, but yeah, um, I keep getting mixed up when you talk about your hip boots versus. I think I wear. Yeah, boots. sorry. I think I wear a size thirteen normally, so that kind of makes sense. I wonder why they why they they fit a size small. That's interesting. I, I don't know because yeah. you would think you'd want to buy like a size big. That way you could fit your layered socks underneath there and still. Have and I can room fit and, my thick socks in yeah. those size ten hip boots, hmm. no problem. Interesting. Yeah. Well, good anyway. things to think about. And every brand's going to have a little bit different sizing chart, right. so definitely make sure you're investigating that too. Right. right. But let's dive into this list here. This is the remainder of the list. Um, if you listened to last week's episode, we kind of ended it a bit abruptly, and that's actually because Dalton and I, at a fairly similar time, started scrolling down the list of things that we had <laughs> written out to talk about <laughs> and realized we still had quite a bit to go over. So yeah. uh, hopefully this one will be just as good. Um, starter off for this list, we're going to be talking a lot more about camp gear and gear you should take with you is your pack. Yeah. So once you're, you're all fitted out, you've got all your, all your clothing on, mm-hmm. what are you going to carry everything out into the field with? Yeah. And I want to say from an absolute beginner standpoint, mm-hmm. you cannot beat a pack frame, reliable pack frame. Yeah. And a dry bag. I agree. Some, something of that combination, whether you need a big one, you know, you mm-hmm. can get, go up to like the 50 gallon bags, you can get a 30 gallon bag if you don't need that much, you're only going out for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, but you just strap that onto your, your pack board. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can add a lot of combos to that right. to make it a little more fancy, a little bit more uh, robust maybe, but that setup will get you out into the woods yes. on a budget. Absolutely. Um, you can pick up a good pack board. You know, a good reliable one. I think the one I have was about two hundred and thirty bucks. Oh wow! Um, and that was a technically expensive one. Yeah, that's, you can pick that, up. That yeah, you can pick up pack boards for like eighty bucks. Yeah. I don't know if I would want to walk ten days with one of those, but if you're on a budget and that's what yeah. you got to do, then you got to do what you got to do. Dalton, you'd probably recommend so, like the kelp. Yep. Yep. I, I I have a couple of those that that's what I haul in bear bait with, and that's mm-hmm. what I started hunting with up here. Yeah. Um, it was just like, a, I, I think they're about 90 or 100 bucks at Sportsman's. It's just a green, I think healthy yeah. pack frame. Are they now? Okay. I think so. I was yeah. looking at yeah. it the other day. Yeah. But, but, but anyway, it's, it's, it's well below that $200 mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's got a, you know, it's, it's got the pack shelf at the bottom of it that kind of mm-hmm. folds out at the bottom. It's aluminum and it's, it's pinned to the frame. And uh, it's got those little, uh, you know, bat wings that, that come over the front of it with a little yep. 
um, like three quarter inch um, nylon straps with buckles. Um, and that's, you know, if, if you're not packing much, those will work, but I always bring extra one inch rafting cinch straps mm-hmm. um, for, for when those buckles may or may not break in the field when you're kind of wrenching on them. And then also mm-hmm. when you get a bigger load on there mm. and you've got meat on the pack shelf itself, and then those wings don't go any farther out. So you just strap the meat to the frame with the wings, and mm-hmm. then you put your dry bag over the top of that and then cinch that to the frame with those rafting straps. Mm. And I, I've u- I, I had used that for a long time. It's still what I haul in bear bait with. Yeah. And I've done multi-day excursion trips into the mountains with back in the day with a pack frame and a dry bag. And you just get something, and and you don't need like a heavy duty, you know, sea line rubber dry bag for this either. Right. That's entirely too heavy for the most part. Um, I think mine is a frog. I think okay. it's the brand that mine yeah. is. is, is I, I, I know back. Something like that, but back, it was like 30 bucks. Yeah, back when I started, bucks. I went to Beaver Sports and bought like a big sill nylon, um, just a real lightweight dry bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just put all of my stuff that needed to stay dry on there. And then outside of that, I would strap my tent and poles on there too, right. outside of the bag. Yep. Uh, but everything that needed to stay dry, I just stuffed in that dry sack. And and I was wrong on the on the price of mine. I just double checked myself. It was one hundred and eighty bucks. Oh well, there you go. So and it's it's. I went with the the Alps Outdoors, mm-hmm. the, yep. the backboard. Okay. Yeah. And yep. that one, I like that one. It's got um, it's got some. It's got really good um, shoulder straps yep. for one. The yep. support on that is really really well done. Um, holds a lot more more weight on your hips than mm-hmm. than pulling backwards on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all the adjustability in the world. And then it does have some really nice pockets on the, the straps along the side. So it's got yes. those flaps, kind of like you were talking about, that come yep. up off the sides. And on one side, it has two smaller pockets. On the yep. other side, it has a long, tall pocket. So let's say you're bringing yep. out a tripod or something like that. I've, I've had buddies stuff their rifles in there too. Yeah, you, you can know. do that. They actually, they do make a rifle sling yep. that can attach to the side of that to strap yep. to the side. Um, and then it's a hard shelf too, is yep. the other thing I like. When Aluminum, you come down... Yep. Uh, some of these cheaper pack boards, and this is something to look out for, there's no hard stop to that shelf mm-hmm. when it comes to a full 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just based around plastic snaps and, and the, the straps themselves kind holding of that. hangs off of those straps. Right. Yeah. And so the reason I don't like that is if I have a malfunction with my pack mm-hmm. and one of those, those snaps break, and let's just say I didn't bring extra snaps, which I do recommend people do, um, then you're basically at you, your shelf is pointless at that point. Right. With this setup, because that shelf falls down, even without being strapped in at all, it's going to stop mm-hmm. at that 90 degree. It's yep. a hard stop. Yep. So it just adds a little bit of more I uh, agree. redundant functionality, I should say. Yeah. Just, and, in and case something goes wrong, your shelf isn't going to fall out from and, under you. And you know that shelf is going to support a moose quarter. Oh, it absolutely will. Yeah. 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 That, that, those, those green Kelty ones are the exact same way. They have mm-hmm. an aluminum bars that come down the side that just fold out. And then when you yeah, you pop that shelf down to 90 degrees and it's there and it's not going anywhere. You're not going to yep. break that off. Mm-hmm. Right, um, yeah. But yeah, and I, I, I think a pack frame and a good dry bag setup is the way to start. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, even after I started getting some nicer packs through the years, I would still take a dry bag and a pack frame down to Southeast on a deer hunt when you're mm-hmm. just day hunting out right. from camp. Right. You don't need that much gear and it's always wet. Yeah. Right. So if you take a conventional backpack, you know, obviously they, they, they do dry pretty quick, but if you don't need that, mm-hmm. you can definitely get by just fine with hunting with a pack frame and a dry bag. Absolutely. It works just fine. Well, so James, I think I have an Alps bag that'll probably fit on that frame if you want it. 
Oh, is that I don't the, know where the, I got the it. command or the commander bag? I don't know. It, it yeah. goes on the frame and yeah. I don't know where I got the bag. I don't have the frame. Oh yeah. But I'll take it for sure. It's a decent size. I can give it to you. I know that I, I was looking at those, um, at sportsman's and, uh, they're a good size. Um, one thing I like about them is they have a, a kind of like a support uh, bar that goes up off the side. Mm-hmm. They're not the highest quality, and they're not going to uh, hold up to right. the weather and whatnot right. as much. They're not going to uh, keep any of your stuff dry. But yeah. if you just need the the sheer space to hold your stuff, right? The one thing about those bags is you can you have to take those side flaps off of the pack frame to get them to to attach to the, okay. the frame itself and so <laughs> the process of taking the bag off to then put meat on behind the bag it's not um, really that's right. not what it's designed it's not for. designed for that no yeah. the bag and, has and so, the bag has like the pins right that and that's the thing on, you've right. got to take the pins off and then they they do make i believe they make some extender straps mm-hmm. where you okay. can do that if you want to because then it has the the loopholes on both mm-hmm. sides Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no uh, waterproofing layer between the bag on the back of the bag, so blood will soak through gotcha. and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that isn't an option. Um, if you're looking at buying that from the store, it's going to run you about 500 bucks. And at that point, mm. you really? can, yeah. Wow. If, if you get the frame and the bag. Man, that's a lot. Um, yeah. Just so buy a good for, pack for what that it point. is yeah. at that point, you're already close enough to the, the price range of better packs. I mean, what I have um, from Herbaly stock, you can get for 500 bucks. Eberly stock. Eberly stock. stock. <laughs> it's not sorry. Eberly stock. Sorry. Wow. You know. You know. No. You know what? Not yeah. sorry. Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying, I don't want to say it. This is America. <laughs> no. Eberly uh, stock makes some good stuff. I've noticed their packs are a little more on the heavy side, but they do have a lot of they functionality. Definitely are heavy. They've been working towards lighter weight stuff and mm, like they uh, have. They and have. and modular systems. Yeah. I have yeah. I have their frame that has this with a zip in like day bag. Okay, yeah. and I can unzip that, and then I can actually buckle the bag to the frame very yeah. quickly and easily. Mm. Switch to that where I can. I'll actually. It's what I've used to carry bear bait, where I can throw the dog food in there, yep. strap the bag to the back, and as long as I don't put too much junk in that bag, mm-hmm. I'm good to go. If I put too much junk in the bag, I I've got to like <laughs> lean over. One thing I degrees. will say. I, I think about the Alps bag and frame that you're talking about. I, mm-hmm. I had a buddy that used to run one of those, even bear baiting and stuff, haul, uh, just rucking in bait. And um, those Alps bags, you know, usually those those little pins that that attach that right. that, uh, that 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 those webs that 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 uh, that comprise the pack frame or the bag that you're talking about from mm-hmm. Alps, they have one of two ways to attach the pins to where they won't pull out, right? And, and, what, them, and, what, and what he's talking about, people, is there's cotter pins that go through an right. eyelet in the, the, the bag that yes. goes through the frame into the other side. Yes. And there's a little grommet in the bag or, or webbing somewhere that it goes through to attach the bag. Right. So to, in order to keep those pins from pulling out, obviously you have to have a retainer clip of some sort. Mm-hmm. So the Alps ones have like a little, it looks like a beefed up hairpin. Yeah. It's and, a cotter pin, but yeah. Yeah. Basically. Those little cotter pins fall out. Yes, they, they work do. themselves out. The Kelty one that I've got, mm. I've never had a pin come out of because they have like little keychain rings on I was there. Say, the Alps comes with those. Oh, it does. It does. So, oh, so when you get the bag, it has the cotter pins in the the actual pins gotcha. themselves um, to hold it everything in place. But it comes, it's in one of the pockets okay. on the sleeve, and yeah. you, you pull it out. It's a plastic bag, and it's full of those little itty bitty keychains. Yeah, and so. It's a little bit of a pain, but you just go through one by one and you yep. just replace the, the pins with the, that's, the ring. Yeah, that's definitely what you want to do. I did that too. Because yeah. those little cotter pins work themselves out and they come out. Yep. I was hunting with a buddy one time that had one of those packs 
and he had gotten his used and he didn't have the little oh, keychain yeah. replacement, uh, the, 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 the little key rings. Mm-hmm. And his, two of his cotter pins came out. Oh, no. And uh, so he was strategically removing other cotter <laughs> pins on the bag where he could go without them. Right. Oh, no. To then put them where he needed them to keep the bag on the frame. You only need four. Two on the top, two on the bottom. <laughs> I guess. But he he was he yeah, he had he had lost two of them. Wow. And I, I think we found one of them laying on the ground somewhere, mm. you know, you know, by random chance. But uh yeah, but he ended up having to pick and choose different ones that all right, well, I don't need this one or I can do without that one. So be careful for that and make sure that you put those little key ring retainers on there instead of the yep. cotter pins if I you're think, going that route. I think the pins and everything are actually still in the bag. Are they really? Yeah. I, nice. If I remember right, I pulled it out of a dumpster or something when I threw my garbage away. <laughs> wow. I saw it and thought, well, that looks like it shouldn't be here. <laughs> and it's been in my shed ever since. So. Nice. I'm sure I'll find a use for it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, folks. I want to take a second to tell you about a product I found this last year and have absolutely fallen in love with. It's the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. I used one on a recent blacktail deer hunt in southeast Alaska and it did a great job of keeping the salt water and debris out of the action and also protecting the scope on my rifle from getting knocked around and damaged. On top of all that, the carry handle made it easy to transport the rifle to and from the boat during the hunt. When it got wet from rain and ocean spray, I hung it up at camp to dry at night and it was always dry in 20 minutes or less. Stealthy Hunter also offers a wide variety of nutritional supplements for the outdoorsman such as CBD oils, essential vitamins, turmeric, and bone broth. In the gear shop, they also have a lightweight first aid kit, glassing pads, and stuff sacks to organize your gear and your pack. Go check out Stealthy Hunter's website and use the code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout to get a discount on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. We want to jump to the next thing here? Sure. Yeah, Something I, you'd put in your backpack. Yes. Part of your kit, if you're doing some hunting where you need to uh, do a little bit of longer distance glassing, I know we already covered binoculars with the BX2 Alpine mm-hmm. binoculars from Leupold, and we already covered your your uh, your rifle scope, but your other optic option is your spotting scope. Mm-hmm. Now, you might not need a spotter. To, to get into the entry level of hunting, you don't always need a spotting scope. Right. Um, if you're doing moose hunting in a in, in an antler restricted unit where you need to be able to tell if it's 50 inches or count brow tines somewhere, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times being able to look at a moose across a valley or from the hilltop down into the valley, you need to you need to have a spotting scope right. to be able to do that well and correctly. It's, it's less about gauging it correctly, I think, and more about gauging it correctly at an appropriate distance mm-hmm. to save yourself a lot of walking. Right, because right, exactly. Because at, at the ranges, if we're talking budget, mm-hmm. at the ranges you should be shooting, you can probably judge one with a pair of binoculars. You know, at three hundred yards, yeah, four hundred yards, right. something like that. Right. Um. So before you take the shot, yeah, with binoculars you'd be able to judge it. Right. But knowing if it's legal before you walk the two miles towards it, right, mm-hmm. is a big deal. And I wouldn't say that a beginning spotting scope is going to get you great clarity at two miles necessarily. No, that's true. Yeah. But even just under a mile is still a long ways to go. Oh yeah, so, especially in some of this terrain. Yeah, exactly. And so, it, and and also, you know, if if you're looking at going sheep hunting, yes, you know, this is this is another option where if you're going sheep hunting, 
it is a must-have on a sheep hunt. Right, absolutely. To be able to judge legality on a ram. Mm-hmm. Um, so our recommendation is the Leupold SX2, mm-hmm. which is kind of their entry-level spotting scope that we think is uh, is in the beginning price range. Um, you're not in more than, what, four or 500 bucks for that? Somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, the, the, the SX4 Pro Guide is up uh, right around 1000 so this one is about half that price for the most part, mm-hmm. um, and they offer it in probably fifteen to forty-five and twenty to sixty, I think, um, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, you know, it's not going to be the lightest weight spotting scope, but again, that comes with price. Um, things can get uh, a little bit lighter if you want to go with mm-hmm. one of the real compact new Swaro spotters that are the size of a the size of a rifle scope, just about. Um, and, and, you know, each company has kind of their little variation of that. Leupold has a couple of compact gold ring spotters that are really good quality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, I, my first spotting scope was actually a gift to me years ago, and it was a Leupold compact gold ring 15 to 30. And I used that for a while, um, you know, bear hunting and things like right. that. And it, it doesn't weigh anything. And that one is tiny. Mm-hmm. It's really, really it's small. It's about 600 bucks. Yeah, that, that compact gold it's 15 ring. 15 to 30 by 50. Yep. They have a 10 to 20 by 40 that's 500 bucks. That's even more, that's like half the size of that one. Wow. Yeah. That's tiny. Yeah, about the size of a rifle scope. Yeah. It looks um, like smaller than that. Like, it's like that long. Wow. Yeah. Six inches. <laughs> Miniature. Yeah. But, but again, yeah, that, something, that's, that's what comes with price. Right. You know, right. You get but, that, that higher, but that, that higher degree of comfort and right. functionality. But that SX2 is more of your traditional full size spotter. And mm-hmm. you can get those bigger bodied spotters, a little bit uh, better clarity probably than some of the compacts, I would imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a bigger objective lens on the SX2s. So you can get a gathering. 65 millimeter. Um, for more light. I know those that, I that 15 to 30 that I've got is only a 50 millimeter objective. It's pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um, as you lose light, you're going to lose a lot of that clarity a lot faster especially, with a smaller mm-hmm. objective. Especially if you're trying to look farther away. Exactly. Yeah. yeah the, the farther away you look, the faster your light gathering goes. They do goes. have yeah. an SX2 with an 80 millimeter objective. Yep. Man. There you go. 500 bucks. And what are their so, uh, magnification uh, differences at 1545 and 2060? Uh, so you got 2060 and 20, yeah, 2060 and 26. Oh, okay. 20 to 60. Yeah. Okay. So and that's yeah. not a bad, that's yeah. not a bad ratio. No, that's, that's, that'll get you out there. That's I mean, pretty much the standard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of them these days that don't even go that far. So I, yeah. I would say that's, that yeah. would be definitely be a good way to go. I know the Leupold SX4 spotter that I had a while ago that, that, that actually you have now, James, mm-hmm. is a, is a SX4 pro guide Leupold 15 to 45. Yeah. And that's a really good range of magnification if you're mm-hmm. not trying to look at like two miles. Bucks. Yeah. 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 And one thing about that you got to be careful with, um, with lower end spotting scopes in particular is it's one thing to go to your local sportsman's mm. and get there, yes. right, sitting there right by the shelf, and you're you're looking at all these cool whiz bang spotting scopes, and you know this one has this feature and this one has this feature, and you spin it around and you're looking at the little picture on the wall and trying to spot things <laughs> on the picture on the wall. That's not a bad test, or even if you take but it outside, walk it outside, yeah, and you know get a, get an employee to come with you, walk it outside, look at the hills across the the hotels if you're in Fairbanks and, yeah. you know um but but give it a real distanced look because what you'll notice is with some of the lower end ones when you start getting into that that top I'd say 40% of mm-hmm. the magnification range you're going to notice a lot more grainy image than yeah, it, it originally had yeah a lot of had. clarity at and high even power if, at, yeah. well that's what i mean at, at that top 40% yes um yep. 
you're going to start losing a lot of that clarity. And, and you can't always tell that when you're inside. Right. You know, I mean, they have those little things on the wall, but you're still only 150 yards away, if that. Oh, yeah, if like, that. I think so, from end to end, it's only like 90 yards. Yeah, something. So take it out to a place where you can mm-hmm. test it out. Maybe find a buddy that has one. Exactly. But one thing I really like about Leupold, and the reason we recommend them a lot, is um, they really, I, I think I'd mentioned it in, in the previous episode, Going with a company that cares about quality yes. is a big thing. And Leupold definitely cares about quality, even on their lower end. Mm-hmm. Um, so your, your clarity at higher magnification is going to be better with their brands. Your edge-to-edge clarity is going to be a lot better. Um, your light gathering is going to be a lot better. With their glass coatings. With their glass coatings, the proprietary things that they do, right. treatments that they apply. Yes. Um, it, it's going to be on, on the budget end of things. Not saying there's not other brands that are good, but you can reliably say mm-hmm. a Leupold optic is going to have good edge-to-edge clarity. It's going to have good magnification range. It's going to have good clarity at higher magnifications. Yeah. Now, that being said, even the SX2 is going to seem a little bit more grainy than their Absolutely. higher quality Absolutely. ones too because they can't add right. all the features yeah. into the SX2. But compared to you know price point for price point, right. it's probably going to beat out the competitors. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. And I, I would say something else too. Be careful, even taking a spotter like outside the store to mm-hmm. go look through it. You know, it, it's probably going to be in the daytime. You're going to have light. Right. right yeah. You're still not going to get a real world comparison. Yeah. You'll be able to tell edge to edge clarity when compared to something higher end. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to tell higher magnification, um, um, uh, sharpness in the image and, mm-hmm. and clarity at distance, surely. But you're still not going to be able to tell just how good it does at low light. And that's, right. where, that's where the glass quality and coatings come into play a lot more is when you get into the lower light situations, that's where the, uh, the, 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 um, the higher end coatings really mm-hmm. come into effect. One thing I was doing when I was looking at binos and sportsmen's is I'd use the chart. And, and, they, it, and, and if you have a good guy behind the counter, there, he'll tell you there's lines on that chart. Mm-hmm. And if you can't see all the lines, yeah. then that has, helps you understand what kind of glass quality right. you're looking at and stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so I would use that, but then I would look over the, it, the from, from standing on the, on the vinyl side of the gun counter mm-hmm. and looking to your left in that left corner. It's kind of dark mm-hmm. up in the corner there, and yeah. there's some rams over there. Mm-hmm. So I'd, start, I'd look at the horns mm. and see how much different detail I could tell with different pairs mm. of binos because it's dark over there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. It, it's not perfect by any no, means. No, but it's something else. Yeah. In yeah, that way, you know, I had some detail. I could look at it, look at it on the edge of the bino, like what, what kind of difference. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and again, that's just something you want to find out before you're 15, 20 miles in the backcountry right. somewhere. Yeah. And you're trying to judge whether a ram is legal or not. Right. And it's just right. a blurry image. You know? Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I agree. Um, definitely I agree. see all that beforehand. Yeah. Um, kind of next up on our list is range finders. Yes. Yeah. Um, kind of along the same. Once you've figured out it's legal and you get up close, got to know how far it is to take your right shot. Um, man. We are really going to see our uh, our uh, biases here, <laughs> right? Well, I'm going to recommend what I have, which is the Leupold. Uh, I have the da, 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 da. I have the 1400i. 
Okay, yeah. Now, oh. I bought the mossy oak pattern one, which was like an extra 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. So hey, if you're on a budget... It's a, it's a nice throwback pattern. <laughs> if you're on a budget, it's normally $200. If you get the camel pattern, it's like an extra 20 or $30. Mm-hmm. But it's a $200 rangefinder. It's got something that I really like in a rangefinder, which is a lit reticle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the 1500i, right? I do. And it I doesn't have a lit it. reticle. I don't think it does. It doesn't. Which really yeah. annoys me. Because see, I've never actually used one that did, so yeah, for well, me, it doesn't bother me. Once but, I had one, yeah, yeah, I don't want to not have one because <laughs> because I mean, you talk about low light and stuff; it really starts right. to make a yeah. difference. Yeah, it, it, does. Um, it does. No, yeah, I recently got that that fifteen hundred i, and it's really been a phenomenal one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've been really impressed with the ranges I've been able to get with it. Um, I've been able to range stuff out to like twelve hundred yards with it, which is way farther than I'm ever going to shoot. So. Right. Like, um, that's farther than they advertise for no, that, isn't no, it? No, so that's, so the number no, okay. the number is the rating. The fourteen hundred is, is the number off of a reflective surface. Then I was I was ranging snow. That's basically what so, it's supposed to be is a reflective surface. Gotcha. Yeah. I was using I, mine on a power line the other day, um, uh, with the fourteen hundred I, and I got about fifteen hundred yards on one. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Off of like some trees and grass or something like nice. that. But I mean, yeah. it was a really nice day and clear and all that kind of stuff. But I, yeah. I agree with those choices for a beginning rangefinder. But James, you had the 1500i. Talk about the special feature of that. So that one has a built in what they call the, the trophy scale. Mm-hmm. And so what that is, is it adds two lines to your reticle on either side of it. Yeah. And you program in the distance between those lines that you want to have. So whether yes. you're looking for 50 inch, 55 inch, 60 mm-hmm. inch. I mean, you could probably go smaller than that even if you I wanted to. I think it to. goes from 16 inches to 60 inches is what sounds right. Okay. It, it goes down pretty small. Did you pick yeah. one up? I did. Oh, well, okay. No, no, no. I, was just saying, I, I, I didn't pick one up yet, but I was looking well, at one oh, on gotcha. Saturday. Well, he, he picked it up. He just didn't yeah. pick it up. Yeah, I was able to look at it in but, Sportsman's. I, I was there with our, with our friend Thomas, and he was kind of yeah. showing me what mm-hmm. it does. Right. I, I was able to walk the other end of the store up on that upper deck there, mm-hmm. and it was about 82 yards from the back to the front where all those moose are, mm-hmm. and I was able to test it out. But anyway, go, go so, ahead. So what that does is it, it, it has a, a brain inside of it that calculates the lines or the distance you're wanting between those lines judged against the distance the rangefinder sees. Correct. Mm-hmm. So basically, like you had just mentioned, 82 yards. Yeah. If you wanted to tell if a bull was 50 inches or bigger, which mm-hmm. personally, I would not recommend setting it to 50 in I a 50-inch area. Yeah. Set it to at least 55. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I have to look and see which increments it lets you go in, but you can two inches. Um, Two inch, two, increments? Inches? two inch increments. Two inch increments. I would do at least 54 to 56 just to play it safe if you're looking at a closer range. But realistically, setting it to 60 is probably your best bet. Um, I, I, I only say that because hmm. it's such a small device mm-hmm. and it's hard to hold it stable it unless is. you it figure is. out a way to you know put it on a tripod or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be hard to verify 100% that it's inside those lines. Especially you're in the moment and you're shaking. Right. And, right. You know, and I, it, is this bowl but, big enough? But the you thing know? is, you can look at, let's just say you're lucky enough to be in an area with three bulls, right? You're looking at three bulls in this field, yeah, which isn't uncommon in certain areas of the state. Um, you can go from one to the other if you can get them to look at you. Yeah. And they're all looking you know, perfectly mm-hmm. straight at you. You can go from one to the other. Let's say one's at 84 yards, like you had mentioned. You go to the other one, it's at 200 yards. It will change the distance between those lines mm-hmm. appropriate to the yardage of that bull. So Correct. you can judge them at different yardages. I think it works out to about 350 or 400 is what yeah. I was told. It's not full yeah. full range. I mean, no. it, like I said, it's a small device. Yes. It's very handy. I love 
I love how handy it is. I mean, mm-hmm. the thing is tiny. It's very it's compact. Just, yeah, very yeah. compact. But you really don't want to be using it past that 100-yard mark. I would no. say 100 yards is probably so my cutoff. So my advice on it is to use it, I would set it personally to 50 or 52. I would not rely 100% upon it, though. I would use it as I would an entry-level verification. In conjunction with yeah. So that 50-52, you know, if you're 60, you're going to be guessing. That's true. I, I, yeah. know, I know two people who have shot a moose using a t- that tool. Mm-hmm. And 51 inches. Yeah. And that's kind of, and the, and, and it, some of the older ones that had it, you could set in one inch increments and right. like they had it at 51 or 52 inches. Yeah. And they both shot moose right at that disc size. If you're, if you're using it in conjunction with other judging mechanisms, mm-hmm. then setting it to 50 would be fine because all you're doing at that point is seeing if it's even worth looking farther into. That's what I like it for. Right. So um, if you're trying to use it as a standalone one, don't, but two, <laughs> You know, use a size that's marginally bigger than what's legal. Right. If you're looking for that. That way, if you're shooting a 60-inch bull Mm -hmm. in a 50-inch bull area, and it happens to be 58, not 60, well, you know, you didn't hit the 60 mark, but you're still legal at least. You don't want to shoot a 50-incher that you thought touched both lines and end up being a 48. Right. That's where you want to stay away from. When I was in the store there, I, I I was looking at first just directly from the glass counter up to those bowls up above customer service there. And mm-hmm. that was only about 35 yards. And it didn't work at that close of a distance. Oh, really? It does not work inside a certain distance. So for like bow hunters, beware, no. I guess. Bow like, hunters, beware. This yeah. is the reason for that. It's because there's not enough room to show what that 50-inch spread uh, you know, would be on those lines exactly. inside the tube. Because those lines only go out so far. I love far. when you remind me why you're the tech guy. Yeah. So <laughs> what I did is, I, I, like I said, I walked up onto that upper deck in the back of the store. Yeah. I, I was with Thomas, and I, I, I asked him, I said, okay, how wide? It, well, I, I told him what I thought the bull was, because uh, they had four moose up at the front of the, uh, up the, front of the store there, mm-hmm. shoulder mounts. And I would range it, and, and I had set the rangefinder scale at 52 inches. Mm-hmm. And I would say, all right, I think this bull is, I, I don't know, I think one of them was like 58. And he said, yep, that one's exactly 58. That was with two inches over 50 set in the scale. Okay. Yeah. And I was dead nuts on, mm. right? Yeah. The other ones were well over the 50-inch mark. It was very easy. I, and I was able to get very close judging the other ones as well. I mean, always within a couple inches of what they actually were. Mm-hmm. Um, so how the, that, that reticle... When it gives you the scale, it'll show you the left line will be always at one spot. And then on the right side, it'll give you two lines and it'll say 52 and then 57 or 55 and 59, right? So it'll give you like a little buffer on the right side. So your left bar, you put that on the left edge of the rack. Mm -hmm. And then on the right side, you'll have two lines generally and it'll say 53 and 56 or something like that. And so you have a range there. Where if it fits within somewhere in there, then mm-hmm. you know about what it's at. Right. I would, if I was going to use that as a standalone tool, I would probably be comfortable setting it at 52 mm-hmm. if I could get it to hold real steady. Yeah. That's the hard the part for me. The safe bet would be to set it at 54 mm-hmm. so that you're beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you think, man, if it's just right in there at 54. You might shoot him and he's 52 and a half. Right. The last thing you want to do is have it set at 50 or 52, shoot mm-hmm. it because you thought he touched both sides of the bars and he's 49 and five eighths. 
you will still get fined oh, yes. if it's 49 and 5 eighths. Yep. A sixteenth of an inch will get you fined in the state. Absolutely. Yeah. So right. it has to be 50 inches or over. Yep. And now the safer bet, and this is off on a tangent, but the safer bet is just to count brow tines. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, and- if he's well over 60 and you can tell that, then that's easy too. But if you can count brow tines, I would sooner shoot a five brow tine bull that's mm-hmm. 30 inches yeah. than a 54-inch bull that has crab claws for brow tines if right. I couldn't quite tell that he was over 50. And I'll go... As a beginner. Yeah. I would say that. I will say, be especially careful with moose um, with these things because they're going to be a little extra particular about people shooting barely sublegal moose. Yes. Versus barely sublegal other things mm. sometimes because not to say that they can't give you a slap on the wrist for something you've done or understand the situation um depending on how it played out they do a full-blown investigation when you shoot a sub sublegal animal mm-hmm. um it's not like just a, a hard and fast yeah. run-of-the-mill thing they will actually hear your side of the story figure out what's going on see if you you intended to shoot or if you didn't um but they will um just out of the fact that they don't want people shooting right on the 50 inch line. Right. Right. I mean, if you're really good, you can figure it out. But even if you shoot like a 51, they're going to look at you dead in the eye and be like, that was close, man. Yeah. Like, yep. You know, like, yeah, right, man, like that's barely, confidence. you know, like, that's, some, that's <laughs> so, pretty so brazen. Definitely make sure you're, you're on your mark as far as that goes. Um, but, and there are other brands that do make reputable, uh, lower end, um, range finders uh outside of the Louisville's. and a lot of people like the sigs a lot of people like uh uh just kind of that style of brand there yeah and uh yeah not to say that those don't work it's just the ones that we have found work best for us and um, that yeah i had a heck what was that was that a nikon i think i had for what, a long right time yeah i had a nikon for a long time and uh before i really dove into the the better better brands but the thing is what I found with that one is I was very limited on my accuracy range. Mm. Anything, you know, sub 350, sub 400, mm-hmm. I, w- I could be pretty confident it was realistic. Yeah. But I found myself getting to a point where I had to take range like four or five times. Really? And make sure 100% because I could be looking at the same thing and be getting different ranges. Um, at, at extended like ranges. Like how much deviation? Like 20 yards, 50 yards? Sometimes 50. Wow. Yeah. Like it, yeah. It, and it, at extended ranges. That can make a big that difference can make in a big ballistics. Difference. Yeah. Um, and in fact, uh, I think I verified it at one point. The farthest I was able to realistically range with that one was like 460. Okay. Wow. I yeah. think. So, I mean, it's still for a limited rifle, limited range rifle. It's still not bad. But, yeah. But it, it is nice to be able to look at something. Yes. There's a situation I kind of got myself in with that caused me to get into these higher nicer rangefinders which was i was caribou hunting and i had a bunch of nice ridges between um myself and the caribou mm-hmm. and i knew my rifle was capable of hitting them at the range i was at but my rangefinder couldn't give me a range so i was able ballistically right. to shoot them right. and my ability was well within i could look at them and tell i was like i've shot that far before i know yes. i can hit that yes um but i couldn't figure out exactly how far they were to get my dope chart correct yeah. Um, and by the time I had gone over, I think three of the little 
little wash ridges on mm-hmm. the side of this hill. Yeah. I finally was able to get a good range on one. And yeah. right at that moment, they, they started moving. <laughs> and that was the point I was like, you know what? I need a range finder that'll shoot as far as, or that will judge yeah. as far as I can shoot. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But so just understanding the limitations there, that's why we like the Leupolds because I mean yep. that, that 1500 I, man, I want to say that thing ran me like 280 bucks. Yeah. I think it was just, might've been 300, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think the two, uh, that fifteen hundred I that I was looking at this last weekend was I think two ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's right in there. It's, it's a great entry level price. You know you're going to get reliable ranges, and you get and that extra feature. And that fifteen hundred I right now is the only one from Leupold that has that trophy scale in it. It is. They took it out of all the other ones. Yeah, for some reason I can't figure out why I they think, did that. Yeah. But so some of the older models, if you find something used, have them. Like right, yeah, mm-hmm. and and quite a few of them did. And I think they just wanted to make like an exclusive thing. I don't know. I was wondering why they didn't make it. Um, illuminated, especially if the fourteen hundred and the sixteen hundred are. It it, it might may, be that the illumination kind of blurs those judgment bars. I was could so be that, it, or maybe to keep it compact enough, they didn't want to pack too right, much tech right. into well, it, or to say, keep the price point correct, the size you know? yeah. and how much room they have in yeah, there to put right. to put the tech. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I I think those are good options to go with for a beginning rangefinder. I think that's a that's a really good place to start. I like those loophole rangefinders. I think. Probably the best bang for your buck that'll give you good quality in the field. Absolutely. So. While you're out there, where are you going to sleep? In a tent, for the <laughs> most part, unless you have like a truck bed camper or something like that, which is great if you're, if oh, you're yeah. road hunting. That's that's a nice way to go. <laughs> can have a nice uh, established campsite. Get out of the wind. Or the front seat of the truck, depending on the hunt. <laughs> We've all right. done that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And, and you know what? You can always turn the truck on and heat yourself, too. Yes. You, you can always turn on the heater. Uh, but for a tent, I would recommend folks to just start with something simple, um, especially if you're going for a backpacking deal. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go too cheap. You want something that's going to be durable and have a waterproof floor. Um, now, we talk a lot about back and forth about teepees and floorless shelters. Mm-hmm. And we'll have some more to say about that here coming up as, as we might get the chance to test out some of that stuff this fall for ourselves. Um, but as far as an entry-level tent goes, those floorless TP ultralight shelters are going to be a lot pricier. You're going to be up a lot more towards that $600, $700 mark, mm-hmm. and even above that for some of them, the models there. So for like a traditional um, two-man is what I'd recommend, even if you're hunting by yourself. Absolutely. I've had the same uh, MSR Hubba Hubba two-man, hubba, hubba. <laughs> which is just the greatest name. <laughs> it's, it's the Hubba Hubba NX2, I think it's called, uh, and you can buy them at Sportsman's or Beaver Sports or REI, yeah. even like that. And I think they're about 500 bucks. Now, that's, that's a tent that I've used guiding for you know a couple months at a time mm-hmm. in stretches like that. I've used them on personal hunts. I, I've had the same tent for several years now, and it works great. I, it's still yeah. waterproof. It's held up in 80-plus mile-an-hour windstorms where I thought I was going to get blown off the mountain. Um, <laughs> I've talked about that story before where I had a really bad storm one night. Yeah. I didn't even get my sleeping bag out. Mm-hmm. I slept in my gear. I slept in my rain gear with my boots on and my backpack. Packed. The mm. only thing out was my tent. And I was just laying there waiting for the wind to break a pole. And it didn't break. <laughs> now, I, the one that I've got has carbon poles. I think it's about four and a half pounds. Yeah. And if you're looking, if, if you can afford something in that $500 price range, I think that MSR two-man tent is really good. It's a three-season tent, but I've used it in 15-degree snowing weather. Yeah. And it does work just fine. Um, but for something a bit cheaper... Kelty has a lot of tents, uh, one man, two man type deals mm-hmm. that aren't that expensive, you know, a couple hundred bucks. 
Again, you can find them at Sportsman's or, you know, our, our local store here in Fairbanks is Beaver Sports that has mm-hmm. a lot of that kind of outdoor gear that mm-hmm. maybe Sportsman's wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, if they're missing something, you might be able to find it there. Um, I like to try to stay away from REI. They're, they're a pretty uh, granola crunching store. I was debating on bringing them up. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you're in a pinch. You know, um, they they I might not agree with everything surrounding that store, but oh, they, definitely uh, they they do sell good stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, and and a lot of it isn't uh, aimed at hunters. Yeah, that's not really the the group that they target. But right. you can utilize a lot of it. Um, There's some crossover, and they do. Some pretty good deals sometimes too. I mean, I was just over there, uh, like what was that? Probably a month or two ago. Okay. Um, and they had sales going on where I mean, some of their tents were sixty percent off. Oh wow! You know, they were doing like a blowout wow. sale kind of wow. thing. Yeah. So I mean, if you're on a budget, yeah, sometimes you got to shop just about you know, anywhere. Uh, I have <laughs> never stepped foot in that store. Yeah. Congratulations. It, it's a fancy store, but it's 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 pretty crunchy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any Kuyu and I haven't walked into REI. <laughs> oh boy. We're back on that again. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, you know, another good um, option too that might be kind of a sleeper place, no pun intended, <laughs> to, to find a tent would be uh, possibly even Walmart's camping section. Sure. If so, you're yeah. if you're just getting started, you know, they they carry Kelty brand, I believe. Uh, and Kelty makes that little pack frame that Mo and I were talking about earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kelty has some decent stuff for a beginner um, that that will work. You know, if all you're trying to do is just get a little two-man tent for mm-hmm. the season just to get right. through the fall hunting season, just make sure it has a, water to, uh, a waterproof tub floor design and that the rain fly comes all the way down to the ground. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was say. just going to say, the biggest thing to look for is not brand, but... Uh, Features. Functionality. Functionality. Yeah. Yes. If you go to the website for any of these, you'll be able to see the full tech breakdown. Um, a lot of them will have a map of the the floor, the base, yeah. because I'm going to tell you. The dimensions. If yeah. you have the particular problem I do, <laughs> where you are just stupidly tall. Extra large. Extra large. <laughs> which yeah. I'm not like stupidly tall. I'm six and a half feet tall. But like. That's, that's, that's pretty large. <laughs> like, yeah, there there are big. much larger people than I am, but and, yeah. I, and I pity them. Um, but cause I would not want to be any taller than I am, but there's in the budget realm, if you're in that group, um, you know, that you gotta be pretty picky. There's mm-hmm. not a ton of options that are going right. to be comfortable for you. You might be sleeping with some bent knees. Um, yeah. but you can look at those at the, at the, the layout of the base, see exactly how long and how wide it is. Mm-hmm. Um, utilize those vestibules that come on either side. Some tents have them, some tents don't. Right. Uh, some tents have two, some tents have, you know bigger ones than other tents but utilize that if you need to um for you know additional space and things like that if you need that and you you can't really fit necessarily in that tent i agree i was gonna say the most important thing in any tent you purchase for any kind of trip in alaska is that it has a full rain fly and i don't just mean it covers the top i mean it comes all the way to the ground on all sides absolutely that's the most important thing Bring a little bit of extra cordage to add yep. some guy lines. Mm-hmm. Usually they have some extra loops around the tent on the outside of the rain fly. Mm-hmm. Bring some extra stakes and bring some extra guy lines in yeah. case it gets kind of gusty. Set the tent up before you go on your trip. Make sure you know how to yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you've got all your parts. Right. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that's another factor to look at is, is you can find usually find videos of the setup yeah. on a lot of these tents and Absolutely. make sure it's one that's n- one fairly easy with one person if you're going to be hunting right. by yourself. Yes. But two, fairly quick mm-hmm. at the same time. You don't want one of these super complicated tents that's going to take a long time to set up. 
Um, you got to set out all your different stuff and get all this. You know, it's like you want something simple to set up that mm-hmm. you can do at the end of a long day, or if you're needing an emergency, you know, a storm rolls in or something like mm-hmm. that, you can jump in. I, yep. I know somebody so. that has a little bit more of a complicated tent to set up. Yeah. Yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> now, now that's not a backpack tent. Like it's it's a three piece. This is your family can be used individually. Fa- family glamping tent. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. It's kind of got this great big like. I don't know, 10 by 10 living room, living <laughs> area that doesn't have a floor, but I can stand up and James could stand up. In. I can stand yeah. up in it. Yeah. yeah I'm it, six two. Fo- you, yeah. Just, you just walk, I walk out and it has two more tents that zip into the sides of it. And then it's got two doors that go on the other it's sides got, like, of it. Aluminum poles, like, like, like one oh, inch wow. conduit. Yeah. yeah like, and then, <laughs> uh, and, it, and, and there's no tie offs. It's all stake. Mm-hmm. You stake it down, you push it up, and they still make that's it's a really old tent. Same company still makes tents, and their claim to fame is they stand they, they don't fall apart in any wind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. I, I think you've had it up in some wind, and it's, I, I uh, definitely have it's done well. Anyhow, nice. um, I would never take that tent on a backpacking trip, right? Yeah, and, anyway. Yeah. Hey guys, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've likely heard Dalton and I go back and forth about bullet construction and how I like rapid expanding bonded core bullets that leave massive wound channels. I've also stated I would never use a monolithic bullet. Well, I'm here to tell you about the company that finally changed my mind. Hammer Bullets produces what I would consider the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are designed so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, the front half of the bullet explodes, shedding its petals and imparting massive damage to the vital areas while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration, effectively closing the gap between lead core and monolithic construction. The guys at Hammer designed these bullets with 100% focus on how they perform once they reach their destination. But don't let that fool you. These bullets have amazing VCs and have specialized pressure groups built in for amazing inherent accuracy. They have a minimum velocity rating of 1,800 feet per second, which allows for long-range shots but have no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high-velocity rounds like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. They've also recently partnered with Weatherby to provide factory ammunition for a multitude of cartridges. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com to buy yours today and drop the hammer on your next adventure. So this next one is a little bit more aimed at mountain hunters, I would think. Yeah, Um, it definitely can be. You could definitely have a use for these in in some of the moose country, I suppose. if you got to haul some meat, a little you got to haul some meat or something like that. But it's more for like the pack out situation, right? right. I, was, I was thinking in a swampy situation, maybe not, but eh, maybe if you have but, the right dimension, if you if you have the right accessories on them. But without any more teasing, if you <laughs> haven't guessed, folks, we're talking about trekking poles. Yes, <laughs> trekking poles. I, I would say if you're going to be doing any mountain hunting and you're doing any kind of a multi day trip mm-hmm. in a backpack style camp, you need trekking poles. Absolutely, you have so much more pressure on your knees going downhill mm-hmm. when you're walking with a pack where that that eventual wear and tear over time on your knees will take a toll and trekking poles takes an Tell incredible amount of that load off mm-hmm. of your knees it, I, I, it really helps a lot i will say the lack of using trekking poles is a big reason i'm having the part of yeah. the trouble i am right now yeah. and uh it's amazing i i resisted it for the longest time simply out of stupid young pride where well, i was like yeah. ah, i don't want to look like some right you know, little right 
little uh, granola re- crunch, re- re- recreational shopping. hiker, you know, like, I, I, but like, it really does help. It, does. it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I remember the first time I ever used a pair. Uh, my my the person I was out with turned around and was like, "Dude, <laughs> just." take at least one of these yeah <laughs> and we kind of split up the tracking poles and even just having one yes made a huge difference yep um yep. so absolutely and, and you know obviously going uphill you can kind of pull yourself up with your arms mm-hmm. i do that a lot i find that my uh, my triceps get a little bit sore after a week of hunting with trekking poles you know sheep hunting and things like that because i use my arms a lot mm-hmm. it it's amazing how much faster you can go with trekking poles. <laughs> yeah. Even just on a little bit of an uphill grade, walking with a pack, you can really scoot. My old hunting partner, Hunter, uh, back in the day, uh, several years ago, when I first started hunting with him, or when he first started tagging along with me, we went on some mountain trips, and I would just get up on the top of these ridges and just cruise, mm-hmm. even at a little bit of an uphill angle. You know, with, with you know, 40, 50 pounds on my back, nothing crazy. But I could just get up there and just move. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have trekking poles. And I said, here, try these. And I handed him both my poles. And he said, man, I, I feel like I can really move with these things. Right. And even just that acceleration, just having your arms just pull yourself along like you're, like you're cross-country skiing, right. just about. But also, I, I think even better is the benefit of going downhill with them to kind of cushion that load on your knees. That's where I noticed the biggest difference is, was the downhill. It is a major benefit. Yeah. Major benefit. But and, yeah. and for everybody that's resisting going to trekking poles due to, you know, young pride and all that, it's normalized now. It's okay. Yeah. You can do it. <laughs> everybody does <laughs> yeah, it. Everybody's think, doing it. Yeah, everybody does it. I think the hunting industry and is caught on to the trust benefits me, of it. If you're in your 20s from somebody in their 30s, use them. Yes. It'll save you a lot yeah, right. of pain. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually something I don't have yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say as, Highly far as, recommend. as far as recommendations go, you know, you can, again, go to your local sporting goods store. Sportsman's Warehouse has an assorted rack of trekking poles and Costco sells trekking poles. Actually, yep. they're, they're pretty decent. If you want to get into something a little bit nicer, um, a little bit over a hundred bucks, you can go to Peaks Equipment mm-hmm. on their website. They have the Sissy Sticks, which is, I think, <laughs> The greatest branding name for, for trekking poles ever. I love it. I have their uh, the, the the Sissy Sticks Pro model. I think it is, and uh, they, but they have three different levels. They have the um, they have the Pro, the Elite, and then the the the, um, the Z model. Mm-hmm. And I think the Z is the lowest model. No, no, the Z is the highest model. It looks like at least the most expensive. Oh, oh um, okay. Well, I got that backwards then. But the one thing I will say to look out for, and I don't know any of these brands in my head, um, but I've seen them in stores, uh, go with ones that have a locking, uh, I don't even know what you call that, like a a clip lock setup. Instead of a twist lock. Do not get the twist lock ones. If you are a full-size human going (laughs) on a long trek, you will absolutely will bust those loose and once you bust them loose yeah they don't tension correctly anymore yep. once that mechanism in there is right. worn down and broke it's that's it that's that's that well, they get junk in them real easy they get junk in them yep. real easy um i've i've used shooting sticks that use that mechanism that just didn't Same. that failed yep. in the moment that you need them and yep. uh you know having that that hard lock is exactly you know what you need in that instance you can it's real easy to change the the height if you need to it's real easy to adjust them but Definitely, you. If you're gonna look for one feature, mm-hmm. I would say that's the feature to look for. I Make agree. sure it's a locking system. The Peaks ones have a carbon fiber upper mm-hmm. section in the pole, and the lower is aluminum. So when you get that shock value of 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 kind of banging the pole into stuff on mm-hmm. the lower half, 
that aluminum doesn't break from that shock oh, like carbon nice. fiber would. Okay. But the upper half that gets a lot more of that bend and strain into Absorbs it, it is carbon fiber, which is more bend resistant. So mm. it's a hybridized design with the materials they used. And I've had the same pair of Peaks poles for a couple of years now. I bought them soon after they came out and I love them. Mm -hmm. My clip locks are a little bit rusty. You know, they've been in the salt water a lot. Right. I use it to pitch my, my tarp in the backcountry for a little glassing shelter to get out of the rain. I've also used them as a shooting rest. Mm -hmm. If you take your, uh, your little wrist loops and uh, put the top of the handles of each pole in a little X pattern through those loops, and then put the bottom on the ground, you got a little X-brace oh, shooting rest. Shooting stick, basically. It yeah. is pretty handy. Pretty handy. Dalton's pro tip right Dalton's there. Dalton's pro tip, go. yeah. <laughs> Where's my jingle at, Mo? <laughs> I'm still working on it. And by saying I'm still working on it, haven't even done anything about it yet. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. I don't, I don't want a jingle. Oh, you're, oh, you're going to get a jingle. You're getting a jingle. Uh, I don't want a jingle. <laughs> you're <laughs> Not unless it's really cool. <laughs> so moving on to the next thing on the list, when you're inevitably using your trekking poles to do a night hike back out. Yes, which he heavy pack out. You hunt long enough, you're going to end up doing a night hike. Yep. Uh, headlamp really comes in handy in that Some, situation. Uh, nighttime illumination. Nighttime illumination. And all you need is the Walmart Duracell brand. <laughs> <laughs> False. <laughs> if you weren't the guy that mutes the mics. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right. No. Um, so... I've used with great success over the years the Black Diamond. Yeah, that's the brand I'll I'll, I'll lead with there. Um, okay. The Black Diamond headlamps are really good for what they are. They're they're very compact, mm -hmm. um, but the illumination is plenty. Mm -hmm. um, they have multiple illumination settings from a flood setting. If you're, um, I've used it while I'm uh, skinning out like a moose or a deer or something like that. Um, gives you a nice wide range of light mm -hmm. for that up close stuff, but they have a nice spot beam, which gets you farther out if you're, you're hiking through uh, mm -hmm. dark woods or even yeah. uh, dark ridgetops. Yeah. Um, lets you see what's coming. Uh, one thing I like about those, and this is one thing, one feature I would say to look for in a headlamp for the backcountry, and they're not the only ones that have it, but they have a lock off setting. Mm -hmm. So you push two of the buttons on the headlamp, hold them for about three seconds and it flashes a blue light at you. Yeah. And even if you hit the power button on the top that would normally turn the light on, in that locked state, all it's going to do is flash that blue light at you two or yeah. three times, let you know it's locked. Yeah. It's not going to turn on because nothing sucks more than being out in the woods in the dark. Yeah. You go to pull your headlamp out so you can see where you're going and it's dead. Yeah. And it's been on in your pack for the last Four hours, yeah, six hours, whatever yep. it is. You pull it out and the bulb is hot and you're like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It's, now, it's been on. <laughs> the, the, one, the one downside I'll say to that is the battery life doesn't tend to be as good as some of the other brands. Yeah. Um, the longevity, um, they do wear out faster. Some models are rechargeable. Yeah. Some, you just have to replace the batteries. Yeah. I typically just carry extra batteries with me in my pack mm -hmm. or my, my chest rig at all times. Mm -hmm. Um. Normally, I'll, I'll dedicate a side pouch in my chest rig yeah. to just my headlamp and a couple extra batteries. Yeah, it's um, a good idea. And uh, it's never let me down. Um, mm -hmm. There are brighter ones out there for uh, more intense action, but mm -hmm. for a very light, very packable headlamp that just is right. always with you. And they're what? Probably about 70 bucks. I think, yeah, 70, 80 bucks, somewhere in there. Yeah. You can find them at your local sportsman's or online on Amazon, uh, just pretty much wherever. So, Oh, you said the, you said the Amazon word. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. 
<laughs> I, I would say my personal favorite headlamp that I've used is again from Peaks. It's their Peaks Backcountry Duo headlamp. It's mm-hmm. powered by a lithium eighteen six fifty battery. It's got a micro USB charging port on it, so I can charge it with my battery pack in the mm. backcountry. Um, the black diamond that I do have as one of my backups, it's it's one of those real lightweight ones. Mm-hmm. It's got a lithium battery in it as well. It's a lot smaller. It doesn't have as much runtime, but it is also micro USB rechargeable. Yeah. And that's that to me, having a lock off option, which the Peaks one does as well, mm-hmm. having a lock off option and having um, rechargeable via a cord yep. from my battery pack right, in yeah. the field is a must have for me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to carry extra batteries. That's just my personal preference. Um, on, on the other note, Petzl makes some pretty good ones too on, on kind of that lower end. Mm-hmm. We've got several little Petzl lamps that are micro USB rechargeable at work that we use a lot of times. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, they're again, pretty lightweight, pretty cheap, um, pretty similar to that little black diamond one that yeah. you've got. I have a Nebo that takes a rechargeable 18650 that actually has the port to charge the battery in the battery. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's a USB-C, okay. um, which is the newer standard. Everything's a lot faster charging, probably. It, it's a bit faster charging. It's a lot less. It doesn't break off as easy as the old micro USB stuff did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of stuff's going to that. Yeah. Um, I like it. I think it was like 70 or 80 bucks at an expensive local like plumbing store or something like that. Okay, right. There. I know, I know the Peaks one's only about 85 bucks, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and, the, and mine's well, and, almost and, as bright as your Peaks, just it's gotten like a little bit more flood, not as much spot. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, I, and I watched, I kind of compared your Peaks one to my Black Diamond when we were on that, mm-hmm. that Southeast hunt, mm-hmm. and, and yours, it does definitely have a little bit more lumens, a little bit more reach yeah. um, than, than the Black Diamond was. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I like the Backcountry Duo. The, the reason they call it the Duo is it has white LED light and it has red light. Mm. It has three different brightness settings on each color, and I really like that. Mm-hmm. I prefer more spotlight than floodlight. Um, that, that's just my preference. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to be the same. Some of those uh, black diamond ones, you know, you can have either or. Um, but definitely when you have both as an option, you tend not to have as many lumens mm-hmm. on the spotlight side of it. Right. The Peaks one, I think, is right around 1,000 lumens, if not right at 1,000. Mm-hmm. And I really like having the red light, especially during moose season. Um, animals don't tend to see red light as well as they do white light. Right. Um, I, I'm not going to try to even begin to explain all of that. They're we colorblind. Have, yeah, we don't have to get into all yeah. that. But I prefer using red light when I'm out in spike camps, when I'm camping in and amongst the area where I'm going to be hunting, especially mm-hmm. moose. Um, that way I can have that Peaks headlamp on red and on low, and I can see what I need to see. And if I have to go to white light, I can do it just for a minute, get what right. I need to get out. You know, if I can't quite see the color distinguish with the red light, mm-hmm. and then I can go to the white light and then go back to red and just try to stay a little bit lower profile. Yeah. Now, one field. thing I like about the Black Diamond, um, and I don't know, you can tell me if it's the same with this one or okay. with the, uh, the one you're talking about, is it's, a, it's got like a touch it's, oh. it's a simple touch sensor yeah. the peaks to one change does your not brightness. So yeah. when you're sitting there working on something, and it works with gloves on and all yes. of that, mm-hmm. you can literally just go up and tap your headlight, and it, it'll change tap your brightness. the side of the, uh, of the housing. Yep, the yep. side of the housing, and it'll change your brightness for you real quick, real easy. You don't have to mess with uh, buttons or yep. you know risk moving the, the positioning right. of it. Right, right. Um, but ultimately speaking, my recommendation um, would be to have both. 
Yes. Honestly, um, if you, you can need, afford you the have, weight, you need to have two headlamps. If you can afford the weight, you know, keep one like the Black Diamond that's small and compact, yes. maybe not the brightest on your person at all time. That's yep. that's one thing I highly recommend everybody keep on your person. Yep. Because in the event you get separated from your pack, at least you still have some form of light. Um, and then have like a bigger, more powerful mm-hmm. light, say in your pack or yes. even just back at camp, but yep. preferably in your pack. Yep. Um, and that way. You know, with a lot of items you're going to take into the backcountry, redundancy is key. Yep, and and light is definitely one of those. Yeah, that that that's definitely an an emergency situation um, tool that you can use to get out of a bad spot. You know, mm-hmm. if you can't find your way and you need to be able to light up your surroundings, that's a that's a must have. You have yeah. to have light in the backcountry, especially. Right. You know, at, at right now we have pretty much 24 hour daylight up yeah. here in the interior of Alaska this time of year in the summertime. Um, but as we get towards the end of August, we'll be losing daylight. It'll be dark by about, you know, 10, 10 30. Mm-hmm. By the time moose season rolls around, it'll be dark by around nine or nine 30. And yep. it gets progressively earlier throughout the season. By the time we go deer hunting late season up here in November, December timeframe, it's dark by four o'clock. Right. So you're using a headlamp a lot. Yeah. So it's important to have something, you know, find something that works for you. We just talked about the ones that we've experienced and that we mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. It's all personal preference. Um, you don't have to buy the ones that we like, but maybe take some of the features that we've pointed out and kind of look for those in whatever model that you choose yeah. to go with. Now, these next two kind of tie in with it, so we'll talk about them at the same time. But yeah. you'd mentioned recharging yours with a battery pack. Yes. And then also, the next one on the list is being able to recharge your battery pack mm-hmm. with a solar panel. I agree. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to tie in the headlamp to this real quick. Okay. Fenix makes headlamps that can also be used as battery packs. Mm. And so they have like the 18650s, or I think they're like the 21700s or something like that. I'm probably yeah. butchering that, but it's a bigger battery than the 18650s. Mm-hmm. And you could actually combine your headlamp and battery pack system. You have, you know, four or five of those batteries. You know, your headlamp takes one or two. And your headlamp can be the battery pack, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and so it's like, depending on how much you want to integrate the system, mm-hmm. and then you could right. buy a smaller Fenix headlamp that also takes the same batteries. I'm, I haven't looked at it all. I'm looking at getting some of their products mm-hmm. just because of how much you can integrate a battery system if you want. Yeah. yeah. So I have one of those Fenix 18650 headlamps, okay. and I have one of those little dual seater battery chargers mm-hmm. that has a micro USB in and a USB, normal USB port so that you can plug it into a wall outlet to charge the batteries. Right. Or you can put a USB in there and then plug that into your phone or whatever. Mm. And you can charge off of the batteries in that little two-pack holder. Right. And if you use that as a charger, then you can plug your solar panel into the USB, uh, into the little micro USB port to recharge the batteries off of it. I've never done that. Because I'm always nervous of if I drain my batteries before mm. I have sunlight to recharge them, then I need a lot of headlight juice. I might be out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, I totally so, get so that. that's why I haven't done that. I usually do carry two extra 18650s, which is way overkill. It doesn't weigh enough that, it, that, that the weight outweighs the potential need. If I need that much more juice mm-hmm. in a headlamp and I don't have solar power, and I've got to go multiple nights of hiking out in the dark, potentially on a pack out. I want to make sure that I've got more than enough juice. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I usually bring at least one, sometimes two, depending mm-hmm. on how long the hunt is and if I'm backpacking or not. Um, but yeah, 
anyway. I was going to say, I really like having, uh, the with my headlamp, the 18650, mm-hmm. that is rechargeable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because that's, you talk about redundancy. I can carry an extra battery with me, but it's yeah. also rechargeable. Yeah. Right. So I don't have to carry a bunch of extra batteries. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. As far as battery packs go, I, this last year I switched to the Dark Energy Poseidon Pro mm-hmm. battery packs. I think they're 10,500 milliamp hours, which is saying more than I know. That's pretty good. Um, I get about three to three and a half iPhone charges mm-hmm. from almost dead to full off of one of those battery packs, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I can get about as many in-reach charges off of that as well. Now, an in-reach charge lasts me a long time. It does. Oftentimes, I'll go through a hunt and I'll come home with 65 or 70% left on my in-reach. Mm-hmm. I don't use it that often. I don't use it for a compass. I don't use it for maps for the most part unless my phone is dead. Well, and um, honestly, if you've got your phone in you know airplane mode and you're just using it for maps, yeah, these it, newer iPhones, I mean, yeah, they, they'll if, last a long time. Yeah, too. if your iPhone is in low power mode and airplane mode, mm-hmm. uh, and and you and you turn it off when you're not using it for the most part of the day, especially if you're up in the mountains and you don't need it for maps, if you can see where you're at, then yeah, you can go for days without charging your mm-hmm. iPhone or or your newer Android phone as well. The, right. the batteries in these phones have gotten a lot better, and I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to as technology gets better. The battery life getting better. Oh yeah, that's always something that every every time I'm looking at. All right, how much better is the battery life? Because yeah. right now my iPhone is like three and a half years old, right? And it's only holding about eighty percent of the battery life that it mm-hmm. used to on the battery health indicator. Mm-hmm. So now I'm starting to think about when I upgrade. I, I'm looking to see is the battery life that much better? Well, you know? so the thing with tech when it comes to power mm-hmm. is. So your battery life will be better on almost any newer phone, high-end phone you get, just yeah. because it's new. Right. But the thing with tech is, as they increase the power that the devices have, it mm. sucks more juice. So while right. they can fit a, a a battery with more juice, yeah. the device takes it. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And so while compared to what old computers were and how much juice they sucked, yeah. Compared to what your phone takes, it's yeah. still a bigger processor and more powerful CPUs and all that kind of stuff takes more energy. And obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. once in a while, they make innovations that change some of that. Yeah. But you know, I love my big old folding phone. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you talk about maps in the tent at night. Right. It's, it's sweet. Yeah. Or watching Indiana Jones or something. 100%, right? <laughs> but uh, at the same time, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't have as big of a battery as a lot of phones have in it. Right. Actually, actually, I think it might be a little bigger, but for the screen size right. to battery size. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been very impressed with how well it's held up and this one's almost two years old and i'm going to be upgrading soon but mm-hmm. anyhow yeah. anyway no yeah. uh, but yeah i i've really liked those dark energy chargers i i generally carry two of those in the back in, okay. the, in the in the field with me on a, even on a backpack hunt yeah um two of it's, those it's worth the wait yeah two of those is peace of mind for me right because i know if i don't get sun to use my solar panel for the whole two weeks on a personal you know sheep hunt let's just say for 14 days I know I've got enough juice in those two batteries to get me through the entire time. Mm-hmm. If I'm sparing on my phone battery, if I'm not watching movies, if I'm not using it to read books at night, um, if I'm not listening to music in the tent with earbuds or whatever that is, um, whatever you do with your phone for entertainment, because we all have tent days, and I get that. Yep. Um, but those two batteries, is uh, it, it, it's, it's peace of mind to mm-hmm. know that if I need my phone a bunch to text on an inReach, if I've got to communicate with somebody to get out early, or I've got an emergency, I know I've got the battery juice to support that. Um, and then to recharge those, um, I've got, I again, this is something else new that I just started trying um, about six months ago now, 
is the, uh, the I, I think it's made by Anchor, is the big blue solar panel. Uh, I think it's a four solar panel with an extra five. Uh, it, it's it's got five folding components to it. It just folds up into one little panel. Yeah. Uh, it, it's I think they call it a five panel, but it's actually four solar panels on it with like a control panel on the other yeah, side. Yeah, and the yeah. other side has like a little Velcro opening mouth on it. That I think it has three USB chargers in it, and uh, I I can plug in my phone, my inReach, and a battery pack. And if I have direct sunlight, it'll charge all three of them within a matter of a couple of hours Mm -hmm. it charges very very fast and if i just have my phone on there uh and nothing else plugged into it Mm -hmm. um man that thing i i want to say i've gotten my phone from like 20 percent to 100 percent in about an hour or so oh wow which is really really impressive pretty good And, and i might be wrong about if you only plug in one thing at a time but mariah'd probably know better about that i think each each USB is 2.4 or 2.8 outlet power. I'm looking right now. Um, and, and I don't know if when you plug in more than one device into those USBs, if it splits the if it splits the power or not. Depends on the device. But even yeah. like I said, with the with the inReach, the dark energy battery pack, and my phone, it still charges them all three up relatively fast. And I've used other um, battery packs and solar panels uh, systems in the past. I, I've used the Goal Zero ones. Mm-hmm. They do work. I don't think the solar panels are as fast, um, but they are a little bit cheaper, a little bit more affordable. You can get like the the Nomad, the Nomad Three, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe like the Nomad One. Mm-hmm. It's like a little single panel. It's it's like a hard plastic panel. There's no cover for the solar panel side of it. It's just a plastic sheet over it, and uh, that's. It's a little bit more durable. It's not going to get banged up and scratched and bent. It's it's more of like a hard, rigid panel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't charge things nearly as fast. But for a little trickle here and there, it'll top something off if you keep up with it. It's better than nothing. And it's, you know, entry-level cost yeah. uh, type of range. Uh, as far as the Goal Zero battery recharging packs, I've noticed that over time, they kind of tend to degrade a little bit faster than anything else I've tried um, I, I've, I've not been super impressed with them. They do work. They're a bit heavier for what they are. They're not armored and protected. They're not waterproof. Mm-hmm. I've always had to put those in like a little dry sack in yeah. my bag. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, the, the dark energy ones I really like, they've got little plastic clip overs on the ends mm-hmm. that seal off and waterproof your ports so that you can't get moisture in there okay, and, and nice. kind of fry the, you know, fry the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, or, or, or you don't get the message on your phone unable to charge water in port or something like right, that, yeah. you know, and that's on your cords too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've liked the dark energy ones. I think they, I think they are probably my favorite ones that I've tried yet. Yeah. Probably one of the best features about them. It, well, I, I, beside the fact they also have USB-C ports on them. So you can, you can put one of your fast chargers for your iPhone with a USB-C mm-hmm. into that dark energy. Whereas most of the other ones, you can't put that USB-C in there. It's just a normal USB cord, um, um, plug in. Yeah. But uh, the other thing about the dark energy ones that I bought were their high-vis orange. Mm. Yeah, they're out of stock on those right now. Yeah, I bought two uh, of yeah, them earlier on why. in the year. Yeah, I, I bought yeah. two of them earlier this year, and I've used them a bunch so far. And I, I like them so far. Yeah. I, I think they're a pretty good product. That is one of the items I'm looking at adding to my setup. Um, because in years past, I've always just kind of used the little battery packs. That you, they're, they're literally just meant to recharge your phone. Yeah. Um, they're about you know the size of a 3 by 5 card. Yep, yep. And those have worked. But, uh, but again, um, kind of the, the whole, uh, 
what you pay for is what you get kind of thing. Right. But the features on those are very, very limited. Yeah. Um, you can't recharge them in the field always. I mean, if you have one of these these solar panel setups, you might be able to. Yeah. But yeah. Um, they're not going to recharge very quickly. Mm. Uh, the other thing is they're not waterproof. Mm-hmm. They're not shock. Mm-hmm. They're right. not anything like that. Right. Um, I don't know that I've ever had one last more than two seasons, I'd oh, say. Really? Yeah. So, I mean... You get moisture in there and you bang them around. Right. And, yeah. They hang out in your pack all year. Right. You know, if you don't like, so, yeah. Um, you know, so I, I would say it, it's probably smart. You're not going to pay that much of a price difference between the two. Get one that's dedicated yeah. for the purpose you're intending to use it for. And I forgot to mention that too, those dark energy, uh, the, the, it's called the Poseidon Pro, I think mm-hmm. is what is the model that it's called. Those are also armor tech coated. Um, it's a, some kind of like a rubberized plastic coating on them. They are shock. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you can slam them around yeah. in your pack. Yeah, I've, I've with, seen the pictures of them. They look they look within really, reason, really obviously. Intense. Yeah, um, but they they are very durable. Uh, they, they still look brand new. Now, out of out of my uh, you know organization um, tendencies, I still keep all of my electrical kit stuff in a little blue sill nylon dry bag in my pack. It's mm-hmm. like a little one liter stuff sack that I just keep my two battery chargers, my extra headlamp, eighteen six fifty batteries. Um, and all of my charging cords, USB-C, micro USB, and iPhone, um, I've always got all of my electrical stuff in a little blue stuff, uh, stuff sack. And blue is for batteries. That's just how I remember it. Hmm. Um, I, I have a lot of color-coded stuff as far as little stuff sacks in my bag. Um, but that little blue dry bag is on my batteries and cords and things like that. So they are waterproof. You can run them without a little protective covering like I do, mm-hmm. but just an extra sense of security. You know, if I drop my bag in the water or something like right. that, I know for sure that, it, that that's mm-hmm. all going to be dry. Especially with electronics. And especially you've got all your charging cords in there too. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't want those just floating around in your pack. Right. So yeah, it's just a nice way to organize that kind of stuff. So the next thing on our list, we're try to bang through these last ones here relatively quickly we might push over that two hour mark but um so the next one on our list is something that i'm going to just go ahead and say off the bat you should not skimp on no um this is something that's very important and i'm talking about your medical kit Mm -hmm. um the budget medical kits are not adequate yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say that flat out there is no budget medical kit that's going to actually provide you with the um, equipment you need, right, and the uh, amount of equipment that you need, and the type of equipment that you need for the emergencies you might run into in the backcountry. Um, it's very easy to kind of sit back and and think about, oh well, you know, maybe I've hunted for six years and nothing bad's ever happened, or uh, you know, thinking that you're careful enough, you know, you you work a, a high risk job and you've never been hurt there. And, mm-hmm. But when things go wrong in the backcountry, you really, really need to make sure you have what you need. Absolutely. And I can tell you from personal experience, things from happy and hunky-dory to an absolute crisis like that. Yeah. It's immediate. Um, And it doesn't take a lot. Mm -hmm. It takes one clumsy moment, one, one thoughtless act, one wrong step, one rock that didn't stay solid yeah, when you yeah. stepped Something on it. Something completely out of your control even. Right. Yep. Um, and for that reason, and I've said this before on the show, the only medical kit I recommend is from Stealthy Hunter. Yeah. Um, you can look up on YouTube. There's plenty of videos of the breakdown of this kit, of, mm-hmm. uh, how to use it, what each individual component is for. 
it's a light bag. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes in at just under a pound, yeah. um, but it has everything you need in it. Yep. It's got a tourniquet. It's got um, a, uh, uh, not an Israeli bandage, but a larger bandage. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend personally adding an Israeli style bandage to it. Um, which if anybody doesn't know what that is, um, it's a, a large bandage, sometimes, um, up to six inches wide that comes around and it's got a, a long elastic strap that you wrap around. It's for dressing, uh, bigger wounds. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a broken bone that maybe is sticking out of your leg or something like that, right? You can wrap the entire area. If you fall over and get a big scrape, right. Um, a large cut, anything like that, it can cover a lot of area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I highly recommend people adding that. Um, this one has um, just about everything in it that you could ever need. And it has the, the appropriate amounts right. for what you need. It's um, not too much. It's not too much. And it's not, you know, a lot of these cheaper ones you're going to find. I think I've harped on this on the show before, but man, they've got like 33 inch band-aids. Yeah. What do you need that for? Yeah. You know, you can't call yourself a trauma kit if right. that's the, the most amount of band right. you have. Right. Right. Um, the backcountry medical bag from Stealthy Hunter comes in at about 130 bucks, and I would say it is worth every single penny. And don't forget, you can shop that, you can buy that, and use our discount code, the Northern Hunter, right, at checkout, and you can get that for a discount off of that 129 dollar price. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and and you know, to be honest with you, if you walk into your local stores and you look at their first aid kits. They're not going to have all these specialty items. No, they're not. The ones that do are going to be really big and bulky and overpacked. Yeah. And they're going to be like 200 bucks. Yeah. The ones that are a lot lighter and more minimalist don't have half of what you really would need in a bad situation. And they're going to be still probably 80 bucks. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, so for, for really not that much more, you're kind of meeting in the middle as far as price goes. Um, you're getting... A, a comprehensive kit of what you will need. Yeah. Nothing extra, nothing less. What you need for not really that bad of a price. Right. And, and you think about it, you hope you don't have to use it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not like you're going to have to buy a new one every year. You hope not. Correct. To replace everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's kind of you buy once and you have it until you need it. Yeah. And then you're going to be glad that you spent the $129 for it. And, and the thing is, you know, I mean, he said it when he was on our show, you know, this thing comes with enough space in the bag, it's a stretchable bag that this thing comes in. So if you do feel the need to add anything to it, it has a reasonable amount of space in it to add extra items inside the it's bag. It's a little stretchy stuff. Has sack. a little bit of stretch, has a little bit. They didn't pack it so full you can't get anything else in there. Right. Um, but it, I mean, it is, it comes fully equipped to handle, you know, uh, broken bone situations, large cut situations, puncture wound situations, uh, sprains. Yeah, I mean, everything from big to small. Yeah. You know, I and think it even has some stuff for like spider bites and other things in there too. Yeah, it's got um, a little syringe, a little needle, a mm-hmm. Sam splint. Yeah. Uh, it's even got a little toothbrush in there, um, triangular bandage, and, and then some ointments too. You right. Know, some antibiotic stuff, um, a, a few specialty pills here and mm-hmm. there, you know, a little bit of painkiller, some Benadryl. Just again, what you will need to right. get out. Which right. for, for people that don't know what a SAM splint is, that is an amazing design. Yes. Um, it's a flexible splint that has, it's mostly foam, but it has an aluminum frame on the inside. Yeah. And you roll it up and it's very small and compact. It's extremely lightweight. Yeah. But when you unroll it, some of them, I don't know how long the one in this one is, it should say on the website, uh, but you unroll it and some of them can be up to three feet long, sometimes a little longer. And when you kind of curve the aluminum in there, mm-hmm. it gives a lot of rigidity. 
and it kind of pops into frame. Right. It, it won't once you curve it into kind of a a, a half a half pipe. Yeah. Look, I sure. guess yeah. you know, and you can form fit it to whatever part of your body that you're trying right. to. Right. And then you can wrap up. gauze around that. You wrap that, and if you have uh, a sprain or a break in the backcountry, I mean, think about having to get yourself out of there. Mm-hmm. Even if somebody's coming to mm-hmm. get you, you hit that that button on your inReach. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody's got to get you out of there. That's going to be a long trip. Yeah. Um, or if you're on a wheeler, let's say you you broke your ankle in the backcountry and you are intending to wheel yourself out, that's going to feel like a very long trip yeah. if you're just letting it dangle there. Oh, um, you know, yeah. having one of these these splints is is, is paramount. It really yeah. is. And yeah. I can't stress that enough how important it is to have a proper trauma kit with you. Yeah. Yep, I agree. That's that's a very important part of your kit. And again, you hope you don't need it, but it's there if you do. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I think the stealthy one, we can all agree, is, is our recommendation for that. Absolutely. Uh, the next couple of things we can kind of burn through pretty quick. I know we've talked about a lot of this stuff coming up here um, in previous episodes, mm-hmm. kind of off and on. Um, so we'll just kind of quickly hit these as we're wrapping up here. Um, a tarp. Kind of an emergency shelter outside of your tent Mm -hmm. um, so that if you're away from your camp, say you're backpack hunting, you need to have some kind of a tarp shelter, either to glass from under or to siwash on the side of the mountain somewhere overnight if you you kill out and uh, and you got to stay there and butcher the animal deep into the night and then a storm rolls in you can't get back to camp that night yep you can just spend the night right there bring your bring your appropriate gear you know your extra puffy gear with you we talked mm-hmm. about that earlier in the last episode mm-hmm. um but have your appropriate gear and then have a tarp that you can either just wrap up in old-fashioned style yeah. or pitch with your trekking poles and like a little a-frame design and just paracord it out yep. have some extra cordage there to to guy out that tarp for the night um if you're just wheeler hunting Go with like a standard 8x10 or 10x12. You don't have to pack it around necessarily. It doesn't have to be lightweight and packable. Absolutely. You can go with a nice, durable, heavyweight tarp. Yep. And you can also hang that over your meat on like a little meat pole situation once you kill a moose or a caribou or whatever. You right. can cover right. that from sunshine uh, if you can't get it in the shade, or you can keep the bugs off of it and keep it dry from the rain, things mm-hmm. like that. If you're backpacking, there's a bunch of different companies that make nice and lightweight tarps. Yeah. Um, you know, Sportsman's Warehouse has an assortment of those. I, I was going to say, they, they have one um, that I might actually go snag up just to try it. Yeah. Um, just to, to do like a review $65. on it. It's called, it's called the Slumberjack Satellite Tarp. Yep. And what it does is it's, it's basically looks like your standard average tarp, except it has eyelets in it that allows you to tie it off with your trekking poles in the center and mm-hmm. pitch it kind of A-frame style. Yep. And then you just tie those off to, to guy lines on yep. the front and the back, and that holds it taut. And um, looks like it, it should shed water. Um, I don't know exactly how tall it is, mm-hmm. but it looks like it'd be fairly comfortable to, to sit under. Oh, yeah. And that thing's running. It's coming in at $89. Oh, nice. So yeah. for under 100 bucks, you can have a nice tarp to sit under while you're glassing yep. or to sleep under if you get stuck. Um, and again, even... On a budget, you're not going to have the most lightweight available option of everything. Right. Um, a standard 8x10 tarp from your local hardware store, um, it's not the lightest thing in the world, but it's mm-hmm. lighter than other options, mm-hmm. and yeah. it will work. Um, one important thing to remember with those, and really any tarp, but specifically those ones, is the, the contact um, moisture transfer, mm. I guess is what you'd call it. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't want to be on the tarp per se right you want to have it off of you in some in in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. right so if you're trying to 
to stay dry while you're glassing, don't just wrap it around your shoulders and hug it. You know, <laughs> right. like that's not going to keep you super dry. There's going to be some bleed through. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are able to string it up on your trekking poles or across a string between yeah. a couple trees or something like that, yep. or whatever the case might be, yep. and keep yourself at least like six inches away from the edge of that tarp, yeah, it'll shed the water off the side of you. You'll never even feel a drop. Yep. So. Yep. Uh, next thing on here is a stove. Um, if you're backpacking, mm-hmm. you know, this is more of that option, uh, jet boil or MSR wind burner, something like that. I I've run the MSR wind burner for, for several years now. Yeah. I like it better than jet boils. It's got a little bit better burner. Mm-hmm. I think, um, it, it does much better in cold weather. Yeah. The jet boils tend to kind of gel up and not do as well in the cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but the jet boils do have a lot more options now that they've got some of the the, the flash stove and they've got they the, do, yeah. the, the mini mo and the mighty mo and different options. Well, they've got e- a lightweight option now and a few things. Even too. MSR yeah. does have several other options yeah. as far as yeah. they, I think they have the little micro stove. Um, I yeah. forget what it's called. But, yeah, the, the pocket um, rocket. The pocket yeah. rocket. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I, I have a pocket rocket too yeah. that I used for a while that does not directly attach to your water pot. Right. Um, you just set a little titanium pot on there. Yep. Then they also have the next size up of attached stove system. Um, and I'm spacing out now. It, it's actually a, a much bigger um stove attachment you're talking about the one you can put like it's like a whole skillet basically looking thing on there uh, i i think um, you can buy the skillet for it but yeah but, the, but there's uh there's another one uh, i i've got the wind burner um I, I'm, I'm gonna look it up here um we can come back to this as as you're hitting the mm-hmm. next item here we can jump to that one and we'll, we'll yeah. circle back to the stove well and and i'll just talk a little bit about why a stove's important um being able to to heat water in the backcountry is is very important when you're going to be back there for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, if you are soaked and cold and it's just been a nasty day out mm-hmm. hunting, coming back and being able to get a nice warm beverage or, you know, yeah. put nice, you know, a lot of these uh, backcountry meals, you know, you're able to put hot water in your, your backcountry meals. Yeah. Um, rehydrate that food, have a nice warm meal, get something in your belly that's going to heat you up from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be a game changer at the end of a night, of a long, cold day of hunting. And if you're eating freeze-dried food, you got to yeah. boil your you water and put to. in your food. Yeah. Right. It's no fun eating cold mountain house. No, it's not. Ask me how I know. <laughs> I've done it too. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not good. <laughs> it can be done. It definitely can it be can. done. It takes a little longer. But, for but the- you can also <laughs> use your stove to melt snow. Uh, yep. if, if you're up high and you don't have water up there, you can, uh, if you find some some snow patches, even in the fall time, mm-hmm. there's areas in the mountains where I'll be out sheep hunting in August yep. and there's snow and it's 70 degrees and I'm up in the snow patches yeah. and that's, <laughs> man, that is easy free water. So yep, absolutely. Uh, that, the one I was thinking of, so they have the wind burner is what I've got. It's more compact and they have the pocket rocket, which is the individual standalone burner that you have to buy a separate pot for that just sits on the burner. That's your ultra lightweight option, mm-hmm. and then they've got the MSR reactor, which is a bit uh, a bit different stove pot design. I I'm probably gonna try one of the reactors here coming up soon. I like that a bit better than maybe the wind burner. I, I think I might anyway. Mm. Yeah. Um, but but the burner is about the same. I, I I think it's the same burner system between the wind burner and the reactor. But yeah. I, I need to do some more homework into that, and we'll we'll see if I end up picking up a reactor to try out, and we'll. We'll see how it goes, and I can talk about that some other time. Right. But realistically, the difference between, like, the jet boil and the wind burner and whatnot, it's all personal preference. A lot of it is. Yeah. Um, I'd say the only difference is going to be the performance of the MSR burner in the mm -hmm. cold. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. yeah, The the, the actual stove burner Mm -hmm. will work 
the, the fuel tends to gel up in the jet boil lines of the burner. Right, yeah. More so than the MSR does. Right. Yep. The wind is a big thing, too. Yes. There's a reason the MSR one is called the wind burner. Yeah, that it's, is It's very fully true. enclosed. Um, yeah. It's not going to get blown and flickered around by the wind. Mm-hmm. My experience with the jet boil is, I don't know if it's so much that the fuel gels. I think it's just, it just dissipates too quickly because the way the burner is mm. and no. the cold is too thin. Correct mm. me if I'm wrong, but the wind burner doesn't have an igniter on it, correct? Nope. You have to ignite it with an outside source. Yep. Yep. Which, all the jet boils I used to own, the mm -hmm. igniters always quit anyway. Right, I always ended up having to bring a lighter. I I was just going to recommend, if you're going to use a wind burner for the purpose of it's good in the wind, um, and you end up in that situation, bring a a torch-style lighter to ignite it, because you don't want to be relying on something like a Bic that's not going to work in the the wind anyway. All you need is a spark, (laughs) though. Yeah, as long as you can get that little flint to spark on there. But yeah, it's kind of personal preference. But yeah, jet boil or MSR style of stove, something Mm -hmm. like that. If you're backpacking, you know, if you're not backpacking, then use your two (laughs) burner. (laughs) Yeah, bring your two burner Coleman propane stove. Absolutely, throw it on the back of the Wheeler and go. Right, live it up. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Next thing is your knife. You need to have some kind of a backcountry knife with you. Uh, Yeah, we talk a lot about Yukon River knives. They've Mm -hmm. got something for everybody in there. Yeah. Um, The small game, the hunter is a really good all around, um, all purpose knife. I would say if I could only have one knife Mm -hmm. as my hunting knife just to do everything. It'd probably be the hunter. Yeah. Um, you can do everything with it. You can skin, you can take apart animals with it, you can butcher, um, you can do detail work if you need to. The yeah. hunter will do everything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they have the Green River Skinner as your flushing style blade. Um, I've been using the Sundero Bush knife a lot recently for skinning. Right. I think that's probably my favorite skinning knife, like mm-hmm. dedicated for skinning. Um, but yeah, there's something there for everybody. And they also sell hatchets and axes too, you know, if, if you need something like that. Well, and something I was going to say with a knife is a knife is something I would, I would say you should look at as an investment. Yeah. Um, they sell, you know, very cheap knife kits at all of these outdoor stores. Mm-hmm. Um, they sell, you know, very uh, flimsy blades, very soft steel blades that you can get into for very cheap. But I can guarantee you, you're going to get, you know, through one animal or halfway through one animal yeah. and it's going to become mm-hmm. a lot harder to do what you're trying to do. Um, It's going to really impact the speed at which you can field dress an animal. Um, It's going to impact the uh, experience you have when you're, you're trying to separate quarters and it just doesn't want to cut. Right. Because the, the amount of cutting it took to get to that joint is just too much for that soft blade. And the precision at which you can cape and try to skin out the face of an animal. Oh yeah. You need a sharp knife. You need a sharp knife and you need a knife that's going to last. Yeah. Um, With Yukon River knives, they make very quality knives that are going to last you basically your entire hunting career. Yeah. It is a long-term investment. Um, it's going to cost you a little bit more than some of those knife kits you're going to see at these, these stores. But with the discount code, you are going to get a heavy, hefty discount if you use code, the Northern Hunter at checkout. Um, but, and so that'll help a little bit with that, but you're also going to get a lot longer performance out of it. Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to go back and use that same knife season after season. And it's going to have the precision to do anything you need to. It's going to take a whole moose apart without ever having to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you just keep that little, uh, they have the little diamond sharpener yep. on you. You just give it a couple racks on that. If it does start to to cut a little slower, just sit there for, for literally a minute and give it a couple racks on that. And you'll be right back in action. I'll say this. 
learn how to sharpen a knife. Oh, yeah. Don't just take one of those medium grit diamond sharpeners, the little folding lightweight mm-hmm. ones that they sell on the Yukon River Knife website, and just take that out there. And y- your knife will come sharp. Mm-hmm. It- it'll come sharp enough to use. Right. But don't take it out there, get halfway through a caribou, and then want to touch up your knife, mm-hmm. and then grind the edge right off of your <laughs> knife because you don't know how to sharpen a knife properly with that sharpener. Yeah. So learn how to use that type of sharpener if that's what you go with. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, look up some YouTube videos. Um, WorkSharp, I think, uh, has some really good uh, instructional videos online on how to sharpen knives. Just go on there, look at that, kind of learn what angle to hold the blade at, yep. how to bring that blade back across that file edge. Um, and that, that'll, that'll save you a lot. And practice at home. You know, make sure that when you're sharpening a knife, start out with a sharp knife. And if when you stop sharpening it, it's duller, you know you're doing something wrong. You're not mm-hmm. sharpening it, that's for sure. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. You need yeah. to be able to shave the hair on your arm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, knife sharpening time is always when I end up with bald spots on my arm. So, mm-hmm. right. you know, you yeah. know your knife is working right. <laughs> <laughs> knife and broadheads alike. Right. I'll say with the hunt and that knife sharpener that, they, that Yukon River sells, yeah. uh, I have found that within about five minutes of after, you know, a week of heavy use on my knife, doing stuff with it, you know, that's taking the edge off of it pretty good. Usually with five to 10 minutes, mm-hmm. I can start shaving hairs on my arm again. Yeah. Oh yeah. Easily. Yeah. Five minutes for sure. Yeah. And, and the other thing is while you're sharpening those, you're not shaving off as much steel as you would on these, these cheaper knives. Right. I've seen right. some of these knives where some dedicated people have tried to use cheap knives for a very long time and those blades look deformed. Yeah. From sharpening right. over right. and over Changing and over. shape with each stroke across the sharpener. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. definitely invest in a good knife. It, it, it's well worth it. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, you're not going to regret it. I'll tell you that right now. I agree. Um, well, why don't you hit this next one, James? So I was going to say, I want to skip over this one. Okay. And put it at the very end. Okay. Just for emphasis. Good idea. Um, so go ahead and hit. Okay. Yeah. 14. Yeah. Next thing we have on the list here is your sleeping bag. And Mm -hmm. and let's just go ahead and wrap this together. Sleeping system. Right. This is going to tie in together with your sleeping pad and your pillow, whatever you want. If you even choose to bring a pillow, you can just sleep on one of your jackets or something like that. You don't have to go expensive. You know, this is hunting on a budget. Right. So um, your sleeping bag, something entry level cost, I would say for a cheap bag, try to stay away from down. Anything you get cheap that's down is not going to be very good quality. Right. It's going to be low quality mm-hmm. down. It's going to clump up easier. It's going to retain moisture a lot more than a higher end down bag will with higher yeah. end down fill. So I would stick with a synthetic bag. Yeah. Also on top of that, because you don't have as technical of layers when you're in the backcountry as a beginner, your layers are not going to dry themselves out. We covered that in the last episode. Mm-hmm. They're not going to dry out as well as some of the higher-end fabrics and fill materials will. So your sleeping bag is kind of your buffer for that. Right. You can climb into a synthetic sleeping bag at night for an entry-level cost and wear some of those damp clothes, and you can wake up dry. Mm-hmm. You're going to sweat. It's just part of the process. Yep. Um, bring some dude wipes to make sure that you can, you know, clean off your high wear areas. We'll just leave that at that. Yep. Um, because sleeping in wet layers will increase um, some of the moisture content in the nether regions. And you, you want to make sure that you can <laughs> stay clean. Well, and that's, that's a problem that we all deal with. It's just part of life. And you're out there. You're not getting a shower every day. No. You can't get clean, but you have to make sure no. that... Uh, have to make sure that chafing isn't the reason that you go you home early. Br- bringing five pounds of dude wipes with. 
<laughs> no, no, I, I would probably stick with one a day, if even that. Usually one every other day is what I pack for, and that's right. that's even too much sometimes. But yeah. But anyway, so a sleeping bag, I would recommend. This is where I started. Mm-hmm. These are for the money. These are great bags for what they do. A marmot. I think the model is called the Tressels model bag, mm-hmm. and they they make them in uh, twenty or fifteen degree models, and they also make them in zero degree models. And I've had both. I sheep hunted. I, I killed my first ram just a few years ago. I had a um, a marmot Tressels Elite. I think it was fifteen degree bag, and you know they're not the lightest weight bags, but they are synthetic. Yep. And I've climbed into those bags. I have even brought in my wet boots <laughs> into my bag with me, taken out the insoles, really slept with my boots in my bag, mm-hmm. and then woke up. And the boots are, you know, they're not totally dry. Yeah. And this is before mm-hmm. I got my Graxaw boot dryers, um, which work very well, too, <laughs> when you have some warmer weather uh, to get some airflow in there. But, you know, I, I, I was pretty desperate. My boots were, uh, I, I had a, I had an issue with those boots leaking in some water in a spot that was a failure point that I later found out was the problem. Um, but during the hunt, my feet were getting wet every single day, and yeah. I wasn't crossing water. I was just walking in little, you know, ankle high brush up in the mountains, mm. and my my feet were soaked day after day, and I was not happy. Yeah, so I, I was frustrated enough, and it wasn't sunny. So at night, I just took out my insoles and put my boots in there, and they dried out for the most part enough for me to start out with relatively dry boots the next day. Mm-hmm. But you can do that with your clothes. I already explained that. Um, a 15 or 20 degree synthetic bag from Marmot is going to be right around that upper three pounds, maybe maybe four and a quarter pound range. It's not as packable that's, as down. That's still not bad, though. But again, I took it cheap hunting. Yeah. And I was by myself mm-hmm. and I packed in my whole camp and I still was willing to sacrifice that little bit of weight. Well, and for comparison's sake, your average, like, let's just say your, your old school, what your dad would have brought camping, yeah. you know, quilted bag yeah. or quilted uh, sleeping bag. Yeah. Believe it or not, those things are pushing eight to 10 pounds. Yep. If not heavy. a little more for a bigger one. Yep. They're heavy. Um, so when you think of a four pound bag, think of it in comparison to that. It's, right. it's really not that bad. Right. And, and again, that was that year, you know, I, I didn't have a relatively lightweight bag because mm-hmm. I, I hadn't done much sheep hunting before mm-hmm. that. And so I, I wanted something that was synthetic. I tried to go and buy a couple different ones online from some higher end companies. And mm-hmm. it was, it was July and I couldn't get one in time. It's not that I couldn't have afforded a nicer one. I just couldn't find one at the time. They were right. all sold out. And this was this was uh, towards the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, things were just out of stock everywhere from these higher-end brands. And so I walked into Beaver Sports. I, no, Beaver Sports, um, man, heaven forbid, I might have bought it at REI. <laughs> I, I don't remember. It's been a few years now. But I found this bag. I looked it up, and I, I realized, you know, all right, it's synthetic. It's, it's a temperature rating I want. And it worked fine. Mm-hmm. Now, today, it's totally shot. Like, yeah. I, I used that thing for one season. I used it on, I think, three hunts. And it just kind of clumped up and the insulation kind of pulled apart in the middle. And it's, you know, it, it's... But again, it was just under 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cheap. And, and then uh, I ended up getting the zero degree bag for some of those base camp hunts that my mm-hmm. wife accompanies me on. Mm-hmm. Um, and a zero degree bag is plenty warm. And we don't use it a lot. We don't take it backpacking. It's a little bit over five pounds, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's extra warm for her. Um, and for those later season hunts, the zero degree one has actually held up quite well. Um, now, I'll insert here okay. with 
when you're you're shopping for a, a back or a backpack, a, a sleeping bag, mm-hmm. um, understand that a lot of the times these ratings that you're seeing are not your comfort ratings. Right. These are your survival ratings. Right. So a 15 degree bag, if you're expecting 15 degree weather, go with a zero. You ain't gonna be happy. Yeah, go with um, a zero. Go with a zero. Yeah, and a lot of times, if you dig a little deeper on the website, you can get both ratings. You can get the comfort rating and the survival rating. Most and some brands yeah. like um, uh, what's the other one? Big Agnes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big Agnes's rating is actually their comfort rating. So you'll go and you'll see like oh. the, the fifteen degree Big Agnes is at comfort at fifteen, survival at like negative ten or something like oh, that. Oh, interesting. So, um, but a lot of them they kind of do it the opposite. Interesting. They'll tell you this bag will keep you alive yeah to 15 degrees or zero degrees i know on the marmot bags that i was just talking about the, the two that i've had the 15 mm-hmm. and the zero they both have the different rating temperatures on the bag itself okay nice just inside the zipper at the head of the bag it mm-hmm. shows you know if, if it's the 15 degree bag it shows 15 minimal rating mm-hmm. or you know comfort rating 25 or warmer right yeah. right um, and again, that 15 degree bag didn't last me more than one season in like two or three hunts. Mm-hmm. The zero has held up a lot better. Um, and even the zero is only about 250, 275 bucks. Right. So again, synthetic material that'll work with you on your hunt and, uh, and help to dry you out mm-hmm. when your gear won't yeah. at, 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 again, at an entry level price point. Right. Kind of along with that is your sleeping pad. This is your thermal protection layer from the ground. Probably one of the most overlooked aspects of a sleeping system to be honest i would agree with you i definitely agree and if you look at like an inflatable air mattress to bring into the backcountry you're not looking at entry-level prices right and so my recommendation and this might be a little bit different we might have some different opinions here but we might not i would recommend just buy a foam thermarest pad Mm -hmm. Uh, I, i know nemo makes a nice roll up foam thermarest pad as well yeah they really don't weigh that much they are bulky I, on, on the hunts that I've taken foam pads on and not an inflatable pad to Mm. sleep on, I just put it on the underside of my backpack. I was just going to say, yep. It's, it's like that old military style where you have your bedroll at the bottom of your backpack. I was going to say, it kind of looks cool even. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's the original style. It's cheap and it looks cool. Because it's durable. I mean, I mean, on the outside of your bag, what's the worst that can happen? It's going to get wet. It's Mm -hmm. foam. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Right. Yeah. Um, now, remember these foam ones, you're probably not going to get the best R rating. Right. You know, a lot of the higher end ones, you can get up into that seven to eight mm-hmm. R uh, insulation rating. Yes. Um, foam, you're probably going to be looking closer to three, somewhere in there, I would say, depending yeah. on if it's a one inch, th- two inch, ho- however thick the foam is. Yeah. Um, and it's compressible, you know, so obviously it's, that's yes. going to take into effect too. As you lay down on it and yeah. Yeah. But your, uh, your heavier areas. But the factor use. is even that is a lot better than just being on the ground. Um, it's a lot more comfortable and you're going to notice a huge difference in your warmth. Um, yes. As far as your, the ground holds a lot of cold. Mm-hmm. And, and for anybody that's done any ground camping, you know this, you can lay down and you might feel warm on your chest and your arms and things like that. But you're really, I mean, your shoulder or whatever's on the ground, your back, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're a stomach mm-hmm. sleeper, Whatever's closest to the ground is going to feel cold, and it, you don't want to be feeling that at two in the morning when you're trying to sleep and be ready for the hunt on the next day. Yeah. So I, I'm looking at the Nemo website right now. So the mm-hmm. Nemo Switchback Foam Ultralight 
um, sleeping pad has an R value of two. Mm-hmm. It is a one inch thick pad and it weighs 14 ounces nice. for, the, for the insulated model. What's, so what's the size on that? Is that this one is, uh, let's see here, pack size. Um, it doesn't say, I don't think. It doesn't give a length and width. Um, yeah, it, it, it gives a pack size. Ah. In inches and centimeters, but it doesn't show a full size. Gotcha. But I, I know it, it it has it has um, regular and short length on mm-hmm. that pad. So I, I I'm not quite sure yeah. what, what what the length on it is. But also, you know, Nemo makes this one. Thermarest brand actually makes one themselves mm-hmm. that you can buy. Now this Nemo one online that I'm looking at the uh, the price for the insulated regular length one is only fifty five bucks. Yeah. That's a lot cheaper than spending a few hundred dollars on yep. like a Thermarest. The one that I'm running right now is the X-Therm. Mm-hmm. It's like a 7.4 R value. Very, very warm. It, it's a bit heavier than some of the other, you know, the, the, <laughs> like the, um, like the Uberlite um, uh, inflatable pads are. But that, uh, that X-Therm 7.4 rated one is a lot tougher material mm-hmm. it's it's a lot less prone to get holes in it i think and i've i've had the same one for a couple of years now nice it's very durable yeah uh, I, and i i'm willing to sacrifice that weight for the warmth that it brings and the extra durability of it well so, and that's the thing the warmth while you're sleeping is huge yeah it really is it can be a game changer between whether you enjoy your trip out there yeah. or not right because being able to get out of the wind get out of the, the rain get out of the yeah. cold but i will say that pad is expensive Yes. It's like 350 bucks or something yes. like that. It's it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've spent many a nights on the foamy pads. Yep. They work just fine and it's still much more comfortable than just sleeping on the ground in your tent. It's you know? it's something to and cut the chill just a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and until until you try sleeping without some kind of a thermal pad <laughs> on the ground, you won't understand just how much it's saving you. I would almost say go go somewhere for one night. In, in in the weather conditions you plan to hunt in and do mm-hmm. that yeah do just that set up your tent and just camp yeah. on the ground if, if you're doubting it yeah because it's amazing or just the wait till the make. fall and sleep outside in your backyard and your tent and have yeah. your pad there with you you yep. try to sleep and see how cold it is and then put your pad underneath of yourself right, yep. right. see the difference there yeah i have a, a climate static v mm-hmm. it's like 60 bucks mm-hmm. uh you can get it at sportsman's that's where i got it i needed a sleeping pad and that's inflatable yeah, it's inflatable. Okay. It's about two inch inflatable. Yeah, uh, it's it's comfortable. It's not insulated, but two inches off the ground is right. Is yeah. a lot. The, right. the two inches of air gap in there will create some insulation value. Right, yeah. right. And uh, I mean, I've used that thing for the last like seven or eight years. Wow, I've had zero issues with it. Wow, that's that's a good yeah, that's a good test. Yep, that is pretty good. I, I was I was actually going to look up that thermarest pad that I've got. I think I overestimated the price on that. Mm. I think. I've been planning on getting one yeah. of the Thermarest pads. No, you know what? It is. It's $280. Yeah. I, I And I have the square one, um, and it's a seven point something rating, I, I think. I want to say you're right. I think it's 7.4. Yeah. I think you said seven, that earlier. 7.4 sounds right. right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it shows up as a 7.3 R value. Ah, so and, close. And it's uh, <laughs> 280 bucks for the long one, which is the yeah. one I got. Which so. again, if, if you have... Uh, you know, I mean, we're not just trying to to talk about you know the guys that don't have any money to spend on, right. on hunting gear, right? Um, but so if you have a, a a moderate budget, a medium sized budget, you know, 
something to keep you warm at night. Mm-hmm. That's that's a pretty good thing to put on your list. Yeah. Um, don't ignore it. Don't overlook it. Yeah. Um, the last thing we're going to talk about, and kind of along those same lines, is regardless of your budget size, you should always budget an inReach into your gear kit. Yes. Um, or something along those lines. Uh, we like the inReach, but but there yeah. are, are several brands out there. We've talked about them all on the show before. Um, the reason that's so important is similar to like what we talked about at the beginning of the show. You know, it's important to get out there and and enjoy the the Alaska wilderness to chase these opportunities to to experience these adventures, but you've got to understand the situations you're putting yourself in, how far out in the backcountry you are, how far away from help you really are if something goes wrong. Um, an inReach device is going to cost you somewhere in the ballpark of four hundred and fifty bucks, depending on which model you go with. Yeah, that's um, that's on the spendy side. That, yeah, that's, that's yeah. well, and actually, it might be different now that they discontinued some of the older models. That's I, yeah, that, those are the ones I have. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. some of the newer models might be a little cheaper than that. I know the minis are are much more expensive, or m- much more uh, affordable. The mini is like two fifty to three. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even on that higher end, that's very cheap insurance. Yeah. Think about what you pay for health insurance every month. <laughs> right. Right. Well, one month of that. Or in some cases, depending on how many kids you've got and what kind of job you've got, you know, a fraction of <laughs> right, right, um, you know, can provide you with the insurance that if something goes terribly wrong, yeah, you have a way to get to help. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We don't want anybody going out there and dying. We don't want anybody going out there and, and not seeing their family again. Mm-hmm. Never get, again, it's 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 Alaska is a wonderful place. It's a yeah. great place. It's full of adventure and excitement. But you've got to be responsible. Yeah, safety is the number one priority on anything you do. Yeah, and, and an, an in-reach or in-reach-like device that you know will work and you have yeah. confidence in that will reach the right people at the right time right. is invaluable. Yep. Um, yeah, I, you could put any price on that, and, and yep. I would pay it. I agree. No, I, I know we've talked about different satellite communication devices on the show before. We've mm-hmm. talked about Zolio. We've talked about the old... Um, man, I'm, I'm spacing it out now. It's that old orange unit... Um, that they that that they uh, they didn't have very good satellite coverage in Alaska. Spot, Spot oh, yeah. messenger. Yes, that's say, right. Yeah, yeah I, I could see it in my mind, but I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name. Um, but yeah, the old Spot messengers. Um, they don't have very good service up here at all, mm-hmm. if any, in a lot of areas. Um, but I know the Zolios are kind of making an entry into the, the market. The, There's they're getting there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I would prefer it as as compared to an inReach device. Right. We don't have to get off into all the details of it, but research it, figure out what's going to work for you and your particular application. Yeah. Um, I really like the Garmin inReaches. Mm-hmm. They haven't let me down. They're reliable. They're good products, and uh, they're always coming out with different designs and, and better battery life. And man, I, I have the orange Garmin Explorer Plus. Yep, that's currently discontinued. Unfortunately, you can still find them online, used somewhere. Right. Um, I know when they were still in production, they were anywhere from three hundred to three hundred fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, again, like you said, I'm happy to pay that. Right. Happy. Yeah, I've got the uh, the yellow one whichever model that is. Yeah, it's the, I think it's the it's, SE. The SE, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I think the only difference between that and the Explorer Plus was the topo maps. Yeah, um, yep. and I it, it was something I'd minimal. I never planned on using it for, for mapping. Right. So yeah. um, I, I, I don't use mine either for that. Purely a communication device for right. me. So, yep. um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely a necessity in my book to, yep. to have some form of, of communication, even if you don't use it to actually text anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us just like to be out there. We shut our phones off we shut everything else out we like hunting where there's no cell service mm-hmm. it's like 
you know, it's part of the reason you're out there is to kind of yeah. unplug, get away from it, enjoy yeah. nature, enjoy being outside, enjoy, you know, yeah. just the, the, the wonder and the, the you know, just being, magnificence uh, yeah, of it all, well, just, you know, but like. Yeah, just being away from society for that long yeah. is just refreshing. You but know? being able to reach out when you need it. Yeah. Man, I, I can't tell you how much that, yeah. how, how important that is. It's so, invaluable. Um, well, I think. I think if we forgot anything, folks, yeah. uh, this has been a two-part <laughs> series now. Uh, this will wrap up our, our entry-level gear part yeah, one right. and two series. But if we forgot anything that you're just screaming at your truck stereo <laughs> or, uh, you know, just wishing that we had brought this up to discuss it, yep. email us into the show. Uh, I know James already plugged the email. We'll do that again here in a second. Yeah. Um, but write us in and, and let us know if we forgot something or if you need to correct us on a detail that we got wrong, perhaps. You know, one thing I like, um, the last gear-related one we did, the essential items for your pack one, we yeah. had a slew of people right into the show afterwards yep. saying, well, I like this brand or you guys yep. didn't talk mm-hmm. about this and this is why I found it important. Yeah. Um, kind of the same thing. If you, if you like Dalton just said, I mean, we love getting those kinds of messages. Yeah. I mean, if you... If you like because we're always looking for new things too right you know and and the show is all about you know varying perspective yeah and that includes you guys yep. so um yep. definitely right into the show we're gonna wrap this one up for you guys looks like we uh kept it right about that same two and a half hour mark so yeah. we're slowly slowly bringing them back down um but uh if you guys have any questions pertaining to anything we spoke about in the show today um definitely write us in um that in- email address is info at thenorthernhunter.com. You can also go to our website, thenorthernhunter.com, and hit the contact button, or hit us up on our socials if you search at the Northern Hunter on either Facebook or Instagram currently. Um, if you have any, uh, if you find this information valuable and you'd like to share it with your friends, definitely do that. That helps out the show a ton. Uh, getting this information to the right people is is very mm-hmm. important to yep. us. That's why we're why we're doing this. Yes, um, and uh, definitely give us a rating. You know, that ratings really help other people find us too. Even if, if you don't know who they are, the higher the rating on the show, the more likely they are to find the information. Yeah. Um, so give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening on and, uh, you know, leave us a review. A written review uh, really helps us. We like hearing what you guys have to say about the show mm-hmm. and uh, it'll help other people know yeah. if it's valuable for them or not. Yeah. So. And if you have friends that think they would, uh, that, that you think they would enjoy the show too, you know, just helping by word of mouth. If you know somebody yep. that's interested in hunting out West or up in Alaska at some point yep. and you think they would benefit from this, um, we'd appreciate it if you just pass it on to them. Every mm-hmm. single platform has a little share button yeah. on the side of it. You can just send the link right to their text message through Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, any of those. Yeah. Yeah. And if you'd like to support what we're doing here and help us um, grow, help us become uh, a little bit bigger and, and be able to bring you guys more more platforms and more information and, and, again, keep the lights on in here. Nobody likes recording podcasts in the dark. Then, uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Uh, shopping from our sponsors definitely helps out. So yeah, yeah, th- those are all on our partners page on our website. I know we discussed that at the beginning of the show, but if you just go to our website, thenorthernhunter.com, and go to our partners page, Mariah has built us a nice little overlay there, mm-hmm. and you can click any of those links to go to those partners that we have discount codes through. The only one that we have currently that does not have a discount code, I believe, is Weatherby. Yeah, all the other ones that we have currently listed have discount codes, and yep. those are. Um, all going to be the Northern Hunter at checkout with the exception of Beta 907, that is TNHP. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you like what we're doing, you want to help us uh, keep doing what we're doing and expand. We have a lot of exciting projects coming up uh, through the fall here that we're going to be bringing to you guys. Um, and again, I, I know I mentioned this in the last episode, but uh, you know, fall season is coming up here quickly. Yeah. Um, in less than a month now, it'll be sheep season. 
And uh, so, yeah, if you have any suggestions or, or specific questions for hunts that you have coming up in Alaska, be sure to get those into the show this summer before the fall hits. Right. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. And until next time, get out there, get after it, and good luck. See you next week. All right, folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.